Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter. You could uh, go to uh, theoryofdfs.com. I'm the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. Joining with me this week, special guest. I, I've been trying. I've been trying to get him on 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 the show for when Eric was out, but now that Eric's back. He's like, oh, I, I, I have nothing to do because I'm quarantined in Canada because coming back from a live final, uh, and then there's nothing else to do other than play short NBA slates. And I mean, you, you, sometimes do you, you play Madden Sims? Sometimes just, just, just for yeah, uh, just sometimes. shits and giggles. Yeah, I do. You know? I've, I've had like uh, some downs with that, but at the very beginning, I'd say. There were some people who were playing the Madden Sims. So, like, the way it works is people were, they have, like, a depth chart on the site, and it shows you who's the starting quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and they're way different than they are in real life. So, like, at the beginning, I'd get people playing, and they were using, like, the real-life running back ones, and they'd just get zeros, and eventually they'd figure it out. But, like, there's always, like, the one week of like the really harsh learning curve. Like there's no getting lucky in a simulation where you pick the backup and the starter gets hurt. So I do that. I do a bunch of stuff, but uh, um, yeah, the Madden streams are definitely up there for the craziest. Uh, but it's, it's Warren Kosoy, Bills fan, seven, 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 playing the Madden streams during COVID when there's nothing else going on. Uh, yep. And if for the free play pools of when 10, you know, a thousand a first or 500 a first, but hey, it gave you something to do. I got into MMA DFS during COVID, so I get it. But uh, you just got back from from a live final. You're you're in Canada, so I'm I'm automatically je- jealous of you because uh, you do not have to pay uh, income tax on yes. your DFS winnings. So that 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 drastically changes. Uh, I mean that I mean that dra- I mean literally like I had one year that like an entire bink goes to tax like like i win fifty thousand dollars just for the sake of paying that to the to, to the to the united states government for okay. um i don't know i don't know what i get what do i get with my tax money i have no idea so do, do you think that's the that's the number one like tip like if you want to increase your profitability should you just move to move to canada i mean i don't know how it works if you move, but like if there's no loopholes and you just have to become a Canadian, I think you'd have to revoke your U.S. citizenship in order to be able to do that. I don't but mind I, doing it for DFS. I'll do. I'll revo- I'll revoke it. I'll say yeah. it right now on this podcast. I revoke my American citizenship. Do I have yeah. to pay taxes anymore? I mean your, <laughs> I mean your whole your whole thing is trying to make people money and get an edge. And I mean if you can go from paying. What is that like forty percent? No, no, win? it's not. I'm not in that high of a tax bracket. Twenty eight. Okay. Between, so between federal and state, and obviously I have a company, so I mean I'm I I'm I'm able to deduct expenses, you know, as as a as a full time player and all the content stuff I do. So you know, all my subscriptions and all the everything. I mean, there's there's ways to deduct stuff, but like for the normal person, it's not like like a professional player. Like you're you're gonna pay you know whatever whatever your tax bracket is, it's going on your other income and uh, and that that rake isn't fifteen percent of the contest. It's actually higher. Yeah, and I, no, I was gonna add like it's basically we basically have like reverse taxes here because the U.S. Canadian dollar exchange. So pretty much we're getting like 
plus 25% when we withdraw the money instead of minus. So it's definitely a great perk to living here. And you know what? I'll coop up inside for a few weeks if it means I don't have to pay for my winnings. So, uh, Warren, you, you've been you've been playing DFS longer than I have, but you're you're also significantly younger than I am. You've been playing you've been playing since essentially it's been legal for you to play. Correct. Yes. Were you, Actually, were you truthfully were you were you playing before technically you were eighteen years old? Yes, but only, I only played free contests when I started. So here's how it started. I was in the back of. Uh, my class in high school, my grade 12, and I saw, I always played season-long fantasy, and I enjoyed it, and I saw, like, an advertisement for, you remember Draft Street? Well, I, 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 I didn't even start playing until I, until after they were they were gone. Okay, so, yeah. So, like, I started, just for just for reference sakes, I, I started playing about a week after Ethan Gate. Okay. So well, I, a week after all, all the, when New York got banned, like all of that, that type of stuff, that's how I found out about it. Cause remember right. I didn't watch major sports other than soccer and they didn't have commercials on during soccer. I've barely heard of DraftKings in just because you see there's still advertisements, but you don't know what the hell it's for. So like that, that, that like wall street journal story that like everything with that ownership issue, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is more similar to poker. This is more like a peer to peer game than, some just like fucking bullshit challenge thing, yeah. you know, like with the high rake and whatever. I'm like, I don't want to do this. So like I started then, but obviously knowing uh, what happened before then, like even now, like Warren, even now in 2021, mm-hmm. I I think to myself, if I had the bankroll I had back in 2015, like okay. I'd, I'd be, I'd be a millionaire. And then I think in terms of how about the people that have been 2010, Right when, like when when Draft Street and 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 uh, all the earlier sites came out. I mean, imagine you having the tools that you had na- that you have now and the knowledge that you have now. Back then, I mean, essentially you'd crush the games. No, for sure. Like, but I guess that's the thing. I remember when I started, I was I was very very bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I was eighteen. I just love sports and. You know, you'd play your season-long leagues, and you'd be like, oh, that guy killed it for me in season-long. I'm picking him tonight. And I remember, like, my first week in Draft Street chat, I was, like, complaining that Amari Stoudemire got a double-double, and I'm losing all my money. Like, I said, this is BS or whatever. And someone wrote, you really don't know how this works, do you? (laughs) I realized maybe I have a lot of learning to do, but luckily I was playing, like, free contests, and then when it became legal, like, a big night for me was, like, playing, like, 10, 15 bucks. And it just kind of grew from there, and I kept. I just liked it. I think the key to being good at anything is you have to either be like a workaholic, or you have to actually really enjoy what you're doing in order to really go the next level to enjoy it. Right, and you and you play you play like all the sports. You play like everything. I mean, nor I mean, being from Canada, big into hockey. So like yeah. like free. I'm assuming just like me and soccer, you and hockey, like hockey. Hockey is bigger than soccer on DraftKings, but not right. that much. But really, not that much bigger mm-hmm. as far as the prize pools are concerned. So, did you did you get into uh, playing similarly to me with soccer with you with hockey, where primarily making most of your money and most of your experience early with like a niche sport and not in like football or basketball or baseball? No, you're you're definitely correct on that. Like I would. Uh... You also played. You also played soccer. On occasion, 
Yeah, I watched your videos actually. I didn't know what I was doing, but uh, <laughs> you know, you got to do what you have to do in this this year. I had to find a way to keep myself busy during the day, and if I wasn't like trying to learn a new sport or just keep my mind occupied, you end up just playing video games or doing something not productive. So, but but, but I, back in hot, but back when you when you start, like picture two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. Yeah. No, it was hockey. It was right, hockey. but I mean, but the stuff that you know now, even mm-hmm. in hockey, like obviously, like I don't play NHL DFS, but I know the basics of essentially right. you're stacking lines, right, yeah. from teams, like like the just the, that the aspect of correlation, the aspect of like, oh, everyone's gonna play the high own the high you know the high total capitals, and you're gonna get leverage by you know playing a lower owned. Like, did, were you aware of those strategic? Like the game theory of of DFS back in 2014, because I I remember in the uh, the Dan Barbarisi dueling with King's book, because he hung out with uh, Beep on a Jeep, uh, yeah, and to learn how to play, and he was playing NHL, and the main thing that I mean, and this is back in like 2014-ish when it was happening, where he was like, no, just you know, you play, you correlate, you play, you know, in baseball, you're playing five guys from a team, you're playing. And, and a lot of people were not doing that. Right. Back then, were were you naive enough to like, were you still just in hockey, just I'm picking, you know, I'm picking the guys that I like? Uh, it was a bit of both. Like, I always knew, even like growing up, like even in season long, like you draft like line mates. So like just growing up as like a Leaf fan, for example, anyone who watches hockey, like I knew Matt Sundin, even when I was like 10, before I even knew what fantasy sports was. I knew you, Matt Sundin and Alex McGillney and Gary Roberts. I was like, that line, they all work well together. So it it was just always kind of engraved in my head that, like, if one guy scores a goal, the other's more likely to get an assist. So I always knew that, but I never really focused on ownership. I still – I don't really now – I'd say I do a little bit, but uh, not as much as, let's say, other people, especially in hockey. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I pretty much mostly switched towards – basketball just because it's more of an exact science but I would say at the beginning I had no real concept of game theory and I just picked guys who I liked and then I went through a phase of being like okay I know more than everyone now I'm going to start doing this game theory stuff and uh didn't really work out I went back to just picking the players I liked or not the, the lines I liked in hockey and just whoever I thought looked good and without worrying too much about how owned they were but even back then in like 2014 2015 were you doing were you built? Were you building a model? Were you doing projections? Like we, twenty twenty, it it almost like even even when I started in two thousand fifteen, getting into soccer. Now soccer projections are like not not the best to use. Right. It's just so there's so few things. Like every it's it's weird in soccer. Uh, the makeup of the team and the side that's on the field. Like the starting ele- the eleven that's on the field and the team they're playing against and the formation and everything makes it so that almost anything that you analyze is going to be a small sample size, right. and most of the scoring is goals and assists, which are highly variant. So it, it gets down to the point of like, like well, they're playing a three four three now against uh, you know a four five one, but now they're not starting their normal striker and they're not. Like, what do you what what are you going back and you could go you could do per nineties you could there there are rudimentary things for soccer models but it isn't as useful as like well typically heavy favorite teams have more possession and teams that have more possession score more fantasy points so right. more of those guys the the better 
uh, in hockey back in 2015, I mean, there weren't publicly available models that they that there are now. I mean, were were you even considering that, or were you still going by uh, uh, an instinctual like? Thinking in those terms, but not having, you know, you're not, you're not doing regressions. You're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have Excel open, you know, right. half the time. Are, are you, or, or did you, because there are plenty of people that came in. I mean, we saw, you know, guys that may not be around anymore that had, had a kind of had the head start back in those days that crushed mm -hmm. it because, you know, we didn't have sites like Roto Grinders or, I mean, Roto Grinders was around, but didn't have like, projection models or anything that to, to reference, especially in NBA, like you didn't have like, uh, I mean, probably Wowie may have been around back then, right? Basketball monster did some type of projections. And I know a lot of people just like, let me go to basketball monster, uh, export the CSV run, you know, go, go into Excel and okay. Now I could uh, optimize my, my lineups or whatever based on these projections. And, uh, seemed like 98% of people didn't realize to fucking do that. Uh, yeah. and you just crushed regardless. So were, were, were you, when, when did that transition happen? Cause I, I'm assuming in the very, in the beginning, at least the first year or two, you were still going by like their projection model was in your head of like, like, yeah. I know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at all these statistics and I'm kind of coming up with what, based on their salaries, what the best plays, like what, what, what normal people do just yeah. better than most people. Yeah, I mean, I still kind of do it like that. I I kind of do projections by hand. I don't like automating too much because I think it's hard to factor some stuff in uh, through automation. But I I would say at the beginning, and still today, it's like mostly in my head. Like, so for hockey, that was my first one. I was always like just watching games and like seeing power play formations and seeing which guys' teams are trying to get shots for. And like now they do have stats for that. Like you can see who shoots the most on the power play per 60 minutes. Cause like the power play is where you get most of the offense and five on five stats still matter. But I made the mistake a few years ago of valuing that a little bit too much. Um, but let's say even for NBA, I'll, there's stuff you can watch and there's stuff you can automate. And I think it's healthy to have like a nice middle ground between that. So I've never fully transitioned to just any automation. Like when I'm playing, like during the season, I had to take a break from NBA because I do, so much manually because I need peace of mind to know that I have every number the way it should be. Uh, my eyes aren't failing me because like it's easy to watch games and then create biases and then just stick with them and keep making the same mistakes over and over. So what are you, I'll, what are you doing manually though? I mean, like for NBA projections, I would think the manual stuff is more of the, like the minute, like I can understand doing that manually, right. but I mean, as far as like, like, usage rates and everything like that. You're not, you're, you're not doing anything historically for the, you're just, well, I mean, how are you coming up with that number? I mean, like, how do you do that manually? Do you just, just so, ballpark it? Um, sort of. So what I do is every night, if there's any injury, I think that the first slate that that news is there, the projection sites will usually get the key guys, right. But they'll usually get the role players a bit wrong. So for example, I'm trying to think of a good one. Uh, Last year, do you remember when Karis LeVert started going crazy when I believe it was it was either Kyrie or Dinwiddie that got hurt? I think it was Kyrie because he's usually right. right. And Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie was already out. So Dinwiddie was out for the season, right? Right. I vaguely – I can't remember the situation, right. but basically Karis LeVert's uh, per-minute stats were based on 
pretty much all of his minutes away from whoever was out was playing with the other guy who was also out. So the sites were using like an incorrect per minute and they weren't factoring in that he was going to stagger and run the bench unit. And when I took off all the players and I put in who he was going to play with, with the bench, I saw that he had over a 40% usage rate and he was really inefficient, but he was like, that's like eight to 10 minutes, a half of that. And that's, he was like four and a half K and he kept going up and up. And I think he got up to probably like eight or nine by the end of the year. But at the beginning he was still like 30% owned, despite the fact that he ended up being, I was like projecting him as a seven K player and the sites were slow to do that. So there's examples like that, that I do. And I just pretty much go through the rotation, see who's going to play with who. And then I use the court IQ on roto grinders and I try and project per shift. And then I add it all up by hand. But like, I do have like a good gauge of, so I'm not doing that for every player. I'd go insane, but like it usually comes down to like 20 or 25 guys and I try and figure it out. So like even in the playoffs, there's, Certain guys like Damian Lillard was under on the first few slates because the projections were just putting a baseline per minute, even though he plays like the end of the first and third quarter for five minutes without McCollum and Powell. And that raised his average per minute for the game. So I end up getting like slightly different projections than everyone. And it just ends up creating natural uh, differences, which I think is great in NBA. If you can have low ownership and feel good about it, uh, I think that's the best way to win. But, but I mean, how about how about in other sports though? Like in, in baseball, I mean, what what you're saying is that what we're saying manual. Mm-hmm. To me, to me, it's you're, you're still doing what anyone else would do with projections because, like in NF, for instance, in NFL, like in yeah. NFL, you still have to you you can't automate like target share, like you right. can't you can't automate you know you could aut- you could you could get the median number of plays. The median right. number of like based on based on how these two teams play, how many running plays versus passing plays, the, the median, you know, the mm-hmm. average or mean or whatever, and then obviously they're going to be up X percent of the time, so they're going to be running more versus passing more. But still, it comes down to like, well, you could predict X amount of passing plays for the Detroit Lions, but you still have to put down: is Marvin Jones going to get an eighteen percent target share or a twenty-four percent target share? Or a sixteen percent target share, based on what defense they're playing, the, the you know ev- all those types of things. There, there's there's still a manual input, even even there. You're not just going to go by you know a five year average or something. Or like Galladay, Galladay is uh, is injured, but he's still playing. So it's like, well, what does that mean? Does that does, you know like how yeah. many snaps is he going to get? Is 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 is, is the third wide receiver is Quintus Cephas? going to get the snaps or is, or is Marvin Hall going to get like, those are things that like an actual automation for a model, like won't, won't do. You have to, you have to, you, it'll take all of the, it's just like, just like an NBA. It'll take your minutes and your usage Mm -hmm. and then it'll go, okay, based on this, here's the, here's the projection for all the players. Same thing for NFL. So like, same thing for MLB. I mean, MLB, the number one thing you have to do for MLB projections is pitch count. Right, it's not right. You you could go by a historical standard, but it's like okay, Jacob Degrom's back. Is he going to pitch ninety five pitches? Is he going to pitch seventy pitch? Like if you're going to project him out for one hundred eight pitches, like you're going to have him in like eighty percent of your lineups. But if he only pitches eighty five pitches, you're going to see that he's he's actually over owned, and you should probably have zero of him. So like just just to say, I think people have this misconception in general 
about projections being like, oh, it's an algorithm. Like I just plug in. I don't know anything about the sport or anything like that. It's like there is, there are manual inputs that you still have to do because because exactly. based on today, if you were doing season long, you probably wouldn't have to because it's like you have the the, the luxury of that large sample size of a well if. If if Galladay has a bad game today, well, I'm I'm I drafted him on the the scope of 17 weeks, so I don't really give a shit. But it's like right. for daily, you need to know like like what's his target share today? Is it going to go back to 25 percent or is it going to be, you know, Julio Jones is injured? Like who's the wide receiver one on the Falcons? Right? You go and, 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 and oh Julio's there, but he's been nursing a hamstring injury, and it's like is, is that good for Ridley? Like a lot of times it ends up being that Julio's in and it ends up being good for Ridley because he draws coverage and then Ridley yeah. gets 12 catches and everyone that played Julio at like 6,800 is sitting there going, what the fuck happened? Exactly. No, I, I agree. There's there's a lot of things like that. And then when, let's say Julio was questionable all week in that situation and they ends up playing, no one will pick Ridley, even though it could help them depending on who they're playing. So I guess for me, like the projections kind of, like you said, it's, it's like 75% of what you need. But I think the other 25% is like how otherwise everyone would just have the same team if that's all you needed. But like the other 25% is really what determines if you're going to win or not. And I do think you need to factor in the projections and look at them and not just ignore them. Because sometimes you can just have complete oversights on players that you weren't even looking at if you had tunnel vision or something. But uh, yeah, I think it's kind of like getting the notes of an exam like the night before getting someone's really good notes and just saying, yeah, I'll just gloss through those. I'll, I'll study them and then I'll plug them in the exam and we'll see how it goes. I think there, you need to have like a better understanding of why things are the way they are to be better long-term. Like you can win many slates in a row or consistently for a while just by using projections. But I still feel like there are certain nights where like you need to be able to flip a switch and go beyond that. Like, especially late NBA season, like, trying to figure out which teams are motivated to play guys and whatnot. And it's like that in every sport, like in hockey, football, week 17. And there's a lot of those slates during the year, like let's say back-to-backs. Someone just had a knee injury two weeks ago. Maybe he'll play like 10 minutes less than he would have ordinarily. So, yeah, it's it's hard to just ignore either side, the manual part or the projections. But I think both are important. Well, that well, I mean, what you what you're really doing there is exploiting the fragility of the projections, so, right? Right. I mean, yeah. really, what you're talking, what we're not we're not talking about, like, oh, I don't trust the projections that I have, either the model that you make yourself or you know, subscribe to a site that has has a good, reasonable, reasonably. I think most most content sites have reasonably good projections, like better than a layman can make themselves. So, like, mm-hmm. to me, that that's a benefit in and of itself. But the fragility of, like, the unknowns of you're looking at a meet Like, people a lot of times don't realize that they're looking at medians. They're looking at averages. They're looking at, like, like the difference between, okay, if he, if, if he, if he pitches 100 pitches, yeah, he's, he's vastly underpriced for 7,200. If he pitches 60 pitches, why the hell did you play him? But we don't know. There's a probability that one thing happens or the other thing happens, but that's for 95% of the players in the pool. It's, it's not, it, you, you might as well just look at the projections. It's like nothing about their situation has changed, right? The guy that's batting third for this team is going to probably have four or five at bats against this. I mean, there's nothing, 
not going to get pinch hit for or anything. There's going to be a basketball player that, you know, he'll play 32 to 34 minutes. There's nothing, you know, he, he, that no one's out and it's just, he's 5,400 and whether or not he has an efficient day or not efficient day, right? You have like, like Tim Hardaway Jr. Like you're sitting there going, like if the Mavs are all healthy or whatever, it's like, yeah, I guess you could play him for that price or not. And, and if he shoots the lights out, he could, he could be in the winning lineup. And if he doesn't shoot well, well, then he's getting a fucking snowflake. So, exactly. but, but to predict what's going to happen on that specific day is probably fruitless because it's like nothing has changed. There's no fragility to that. It's just he's a higher variance player. So you, what you're doing is using the, the, the manual input, which everyone mm-hmm. should be doing. It's just realizing the fragility. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm not watching the games. I'm just looking, going the same right. thing as you. Just, okay, this guy is out. And everyone thinks this this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how often does that happen? Like, how, like we're going to try to predict, especially in basketball. Like, someone's out, and it's their, especially the first game that they're out. And you're like, well, who's going to start for them? Who's going to get the minutes in the second unit for them? Who's going to close the halves, right? Because we sometimes it's like you want the guy that closes. You don't even care that if he starts. And then right. what ends up happening is that 15 minutes before lock, you get the starting lineup and it's an unexpected starting lineup. It's like, oh, they're going to start mm-hmm. this guy instead. And we all predicted that. It's like, well, all the projections around the industry you're looking at are based around a different starting lineup, which then changes the shifts of like all the role players. So like, those are the fragile situations of like, if you didn't know basketball, if you didn't know these teams, like you're just, you're just a slave to like whatever numbers that I that I, I I'll put in twenty two minutes and hopefully that's right, like yeah, exactly. yeah. But yeah. still, at the end of the day, that's like the last five percent. Like so many other people, poo poo projections that they oh I don't have to look at them at all. And it's like I think you're significantly behind by just saying like I'm just going to go with what I what my eyes see. And it's like right. no now now I think I think you're I think I don't think you could win that way. I think you you need some type of unbiased analytical model as a baseline. And then the extra 5% is the, is the, Oh, everyone thinks because Abaka is out. Zubach is going to play a ton of minutes. Is that, am I, am I, am I touching a nerve? Did that happen last night or something? I know you were complaining on Twitter about Zubach blocks, not being credited. So I'm assuming yeah. you had him. And then some other person played him. I, I'm, I, I just, I read through Twitter and pa- apparently Zubach didn't play enough or something like that. But it, it's one of those things where you predict one thing, but, it's not a hundred percent. People are like, I think this is going to happen. It's like, well, maybe that's seventy percent, but thirty percent of the time this happens. And then when that thirty percent happens, they go, "Oh my God! Oh, I had the hands in the air. Who would have thought this?" It's like, dude, it's all probabilistic. Exactly. Yeah. No, the Zubach thing last night was uh, I lost like all my three man contests by a point, and I I saw him get two blocks in a row. I think the second one wasn't his, but the first one looked like it. So it sucks when there's a scoring error like that, but. Uh, yeah, going back to what you said, I think that being able to think on your feet is important, especially when, you know, let's say there's a game that starts at 8, 7.55, completely different starting lineup than you expected. Projection sites aren't going to save you in five minutes, so you need to be able to have, like, this basic understanding, and and that's why I like watching games, too, because, like, sometimes I'll see something, like, even if a team's in garbage time, like, if I'm if it's on, I'll just look at it for a few minutes, see who's handling the ball so like let's say the last slate of the nba season all the bucks were ruled out 
Hey, it's a bad example because they were after Locke, but let's say, let's say that was 10 minutes before I would have probably used uh, Jordan Nawara because I saw one garbage time when I had like another player in a game against them. He, uh, he was taking every shot for them and he ended up being, he ended up getting like 60 on that last slate and he was like a 10th of a percent owned or something. But yeah, there, there's always value to watching if you know what to look for. I think it's easy to watch the games and create uh, terrible biases, but uh, no, I agree with you that you need to factor in probabilities. Like even last night, there was one where Noel was off the bench and they switched Taj to a starter. And I saw that with the starters, Taj had like a 6% usage rate and 0.7 per minute. And even though Noel was on a minutes limit, he was a fantasy point per minute playing away from Randall. And I actually projected them around the same. And Noel ended up being half a percent owned and Taj was 70%. And Noel beat him by 15, I think. But I still I still cowered it and used, used Taj. But I had a bit of Noel. Just, but like that's just another example of recency bias and people seeing that Taj had like five uh, steals and blocks the games before. So uh, even though there's no reason to expect that again. So there's always, especially in playoffs, there's recency bias. And I think that's another... Uh, aspect you can exploit with people because the last few games tend to hold much higher stock than they should I think for people in general especially in NBA right and you're bigger into NBA and uh in NHL but like in in MLB like mm-hmm. what's the what's the recency bias there I to me the recency bias is the pitching yeah I mean I I haven't played MLB too much in the last few years but I did play regularly beforehand so I can only speak to the days before they had the openers and all that stuff uh, back when the pitchers just went eight innings every game. But um, yeah, I'd say in MLB, the pitchers are like the closest thing that you can make an accurate projection for. And yeah, I think people will see a bad start and you know, sometimes a bad start is you pitch great for six innings then you walk a guy, hit a guy and then make one mistake and suddenly your great start becomes a bad one. So it, with pitchers, it's good to just look at long-term data and just trust it. There... Except if you're Luis Castillo. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually played it an opening slate. I think it was him. He gave up like 10 runs or something. And I was like, okay, I'm quitting MLB again. <laughs> <laughs> but but you play you play everything as far as like cash versus GPP. Like mm-hmm. it's – it's I, I'd consider you more unique than many, many other top players that – like we have typically, typically we have like I, I consider like three types of players that play of substantial volume, mm-hmm. heavy cash. Yep. So like when you think of like someone like Empire Maker, like I think of like that style of one lineup, primarily three mans, head to heads, double ups. You know he'll throw it into the high stakes single entry, whatever. But it's still a ca- still a cash lineup. Uh, then you have like Awesome O. It's like 150 max, you know, brick 75, you know, bro flex, you know, those types of guys, you know, I play 150, don't play no cash. If they play the high stakes GPPs, it's like whatever their top lineup is, it's going to be in there. It's just, it's whatever. Uh, and then uh, you have kind of, and then you have like the high, the, what I call like the live uh, final type of people. Yeah. Don't play cash games. But don't 150, but they primarily play like whatever, like the 777 or the monster on FanDuel and then like the live final qualifiers and like that. And that's their focus. You seem to play like all, you just seem to do all three at the same time. Like I'll see you 
in the, you'll be in the Thunderdome. Yeah. As well as having 150 lineups into the main GPP, as well as also have all your head dads posted in the in the the DraftKings lobby. And I'm like, like, yeah. how do you, I mean, I think you could play cash and GPP at the same time. Like, how how do you do it all? Especially if you do you focus on one site a night. Like, I I can't see doing all three doing a live final qualifier. A high, uh, like a Thunderdome entry, 150 in a contest, and then do it on multiple sites. And like, because it's like all those games are different. Like the thinking bet- between all those contests is so different from one another that you could automate. I mean, that I've I've tried to solve this by automation. Yeah. By essentially, I mean, you you know, we're 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 in similar discords that essentially whatever whatever the projection set that I'm using posts as the like the optimal median lineup is what I'm going to play in cash games. Yeah. Even though if I was quote playing, I would look and go, no, that's too high variant. Like I'm going to, I should switch it. But like now it's going to take five or 10 minutes of my time and my thought out of it. So like what I'm doing is like, I know I'm probably giving up a, a point or two of edge in cash games by not playing optimally, but still playing profitably over the course of a long, you know, sample size. Yeah. Uh, so just so I could focus more on GPP play, but mm-hmm. how the, how the hell do you, how do you do, how do you do it all? Um, so yeah, like you said, two sites last year at the end of the year, uh, I was playing both sites doing that and it was, it was exhausting. <laughs> like, well, that's why it, I'm asking. Cause I, 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 I've tried to expand to play DraftKings GPPs and FanDuel GPPs on the same day. Mm-hmm. And even that on for baseball, for basketball, I like, there's no shot. I do that. Basketball is, is, is just stupid. I mean, you know, even one, one doing one lineup on one site could be just chaos. Yeah, uh, no. But in baseball, I mean, it's a little bit easier. But even then, like, the, the sites are different. The strategies are different. A lot of times, if I'm playing baseball on both sites, it's almost like I'm rooting for two different things. Until I mean, which is fine, which is, but it's just like, okay, the strategy on uh, on DraftKings is to fade this team primarily and play these pitchers. And it's like, oh, the high-owned team from DraftKings is actually the low-owned team on FanDuel. So I'm actually, yeah. like, I'm overweight on one site. And then, and then of yeah. course, I'm in chats with you and people are calling, you know, if you, if you stack, right, oh, I can't believe you played those chalk. Well, they were in chalk on FanDuel. My, my, my quote is always, they, they were in chalk on FanDuel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've always heard people who play both, they'll, like, strategize, like, Oh, I have this guy on FanDuel. I don't need to use him on DraftKings. And then the guy like might be uh, 0.1 different per dollar on each site. And then the ownership is like 40% different. Uh, but yeah, no, for me, I, I play the one site. I do one slate unless I'm like getting crushed on the main. Then I'll like play a bit on the late slate. But I focus on the one slate. And because I kind of do my projections kind of uniquely, I don't really – separate who I use in tournaments or cash or qualifiers. Like it's all because like they're natural. I think that's the best way to play NBA is if you're naturally different and you feel good about it, you can join your thing in anything like in cash. Like I don't care if my players are 1% owned. I don't care if they're contrarian. Like I don't care. That's your project, right? Your projections say that's the best lineup. So who cares what anyone else thinks? You're just going, I'm, I believe over the long run, my projections are better than yours. Exactly. And if they end up being 2%, then that's actually a benefit to you. Right. 
exactly. Like I, I love the slates where I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, no one's going to have this guy. And I love him. I don't like the slates where I'm looking. I'm like, man, this guy's 50%. On those slates, I play actually more tournaments, believe it or not, because in the cheaper ones, uh, the cheaper tournaments, like the guys who are really obvious, like, you know, the 3K starting point guard who's going to have 30% usage and play 40 minutes that you you don't have to play, but you pretty much do uh, if you want to likely be at the top by the end. Uh, they'll be like 50% owned instead of 100% owned in cash games. So they actually matter a little bit. So I don't mind those. You pretty much have to adapt. But on nights where, you know, my ownership is likely spread out, I'm comfortable putting my lineups in literally anything. Like I don't, I don't differentiate uh, any game type. So it, it's not too. It's not any extra work for me to play uh, each format. So, so what are you, are you building one fifty and just putting like your top projected into the, into yeah. one and the second projected into the other? I mean, yeah. Are, do you uh, do you play do you play all uniques or you just make a one fifty set and that's it? Um, no, I'll do I'll do a one fifty set and I'll put that in like the twenty, the five, the six, and okay. So they're, they're not so they're not unique. So I mean. If you have right. a line, if you have a lineup in the twenty max, it's also in the one fifty max. Correct. Yeah. Right. So it's like the top. Tw- you're using the top twenty, like. It, but most of the time, I see that it's like the twenty max entries are basically the one through twenty top yeah. projected, or at least top something, because you can right. also do like top highest own highest ownership product versus the projected point. You know, there are, you could you could make your own metric up in Excel and say that. You know, I want to put these con- lineups into these contests, but you're different than me that I primarily, I play all uniques. Right. Right. Well, like, I'm, to, to, but I'm, of course, I'm I'm much more conservative. Like me, yeah. I care more about diversification than than like the highest, Eve. Like for the, the likelihood, I, I don't, I just want to bink one of them. I don't need right. to have one lineup that binks five different GPPs. It's like right. from a long-term perspective, I'd much rather give myself more lineups. I'd rather play 120 lineups. That 20 is in the 20 max. I have 80 in the 150 max. I have 10 in the knuckleball. I've and it's just like as long as first place, as long as no, I my 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 rule is as long as 10th place is higher than the number of entries that I put in, I'm fine. Right. And as long as first place in any contest I'm in is higher than my buy-ins, mm-hmm. I'm fine. Because what's the worst thing that you do? What? The, I could, on FanDuel since I don't have the the restriction yet because I never yeah. played there that often. I could play in like the wiffle ball or the the quarter or whatever. And it's like first place in those contests are like seven hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah. And it's like if I made unique lineups into that, you know, what why what was be the purpose of that? Because okay, now yeah. I'm giving myself one hundred and fifty more shots to bink seven fifty. I'm spending more than seven fifty because I'm also <laughs> playing the five fifty the five dollar and fifty and like. The worst thing that happened is like, okay, the, the lineup that would have been the 555 is in the fucking nickel contest. Yeah. That would and then if I win the nickel contest, I still lose for the day. Exactly. Like, like, like to me, that's where the line gets drawn. I don't mind, you know, making unique lineups up until that point of like when the 20 max, like the 20 max in baseball is $3,000 the first. So it's yeah. like, but I'm only putting in like $800 worth of GPP entries. So it's like, yeah, there may be a day. Uh, most of the time, I've gotten lucky. Where the contests that I've won, I've won the most. The, of course, the the day that I won the slant in NFL last year, I would have won one hundred fifty thousand in the Millie Maker. 
but yeah. I wasn't playing the Millie mix. So it's like, I don't get, I don't get upset about that. Cause it's like, oh, that's... that's not one of those things where I had entries and it just so happened that that lineup was in one contest versus the other. I literally wasn't playing the Millie maker. So I can't get upset that, Oh, I draw, Oh, I could have won 150,000 coming in second. It's like, I would have yeah. never had that entry to begin with, but there have been times where you come in first in the, in the 20 max, you win $3,000 and first place would have been 50,000 in the other contest. But most of the time, I think I've been lucky, lucky-ish. I mean, call it that. That first place in the 20 max really ends up being sixth place in the 150 max. And it's like, actually, I made $3,000 is actually more money than sixth place. So it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm fine with that. But do you, do, you, do, you, do you think that, do you not make all uniques because you care less about diversification that you're more aggressive with your bank is is it is it more is it more of a knit thing cuz i do, i'm one of the few people that do most most multi entry gpp players are not doing like all you they're building a 150 set and that's their 150 lineups mm-hmm. or whatever amount and i'm like i'm putting 80 in but i'm also putting 20 in here so like i may be building 150 lineups but like not all in one contest and i'm yeah. doing i'm doing it more to, to even out my my swing, because people look at, I mean, I've had people look at my Roto Tracker since I do show it. You know, I, I posted on Twitter before. And I am primarily a GPP player, even though I play cash games to even out the swings. And they look and they go, where the hell are your swings? Yeah. And like they like, because like my swings aren't that dramatic at all. Yet I call them dramatic and a 10% downswing, you know, it's like 30 grand or something for me. Yeah. But I only play like 1% of my bankroll and I diversify to that extent that do you, be, do you believe that, that there's no correct way? Like, I'm not asking, well, you're doing it this way and I'm doing it this way. Which one is right? Cause I, I don't think, I don't think there isn't a right. It's just a matter of, of risk of a loss aversion, risk aversion, you know, like, like I, cause I, I read a, a you have, you have an article sick from six yeah. years ago. I found on Roto Grinders. Don't learn bankroll management the hard way. Yeah, that was that was a long that was a long that was right at the beginning. Right, right when at I the was... beginning, right? And basically just basically talking about this was like 2015, talking about mm-hmm. your 2014 season that you were doing well, but you were like playing 10%, 20% of your bankroll, whatever, and then you kind of you went busto. Then yep. you then you deposited again and then you like you 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 were a little bit more responsible and then you ended up binking like 25, 30,000, and then it's yeah. like off to the races. So like even looking at that article, like with the amount of volume that you play now, yeah, like from seven years, from seven years ago, like people don't understand, like same thing for me. I put in 400 bucks. Yeah. I, I'm playing like, I didn't have to put in anything more. So right. people think that oh, you have to, oh, only the, the people that make all this money in DFS, it's because they just have a lot of money. It's like, well, the reason we have a lot of money is because we made it playing yeah. DFS for that long. I mean, like, from back then. So do you think uh, the differences between like me and you are, are you more now, obviously I'm not on the end of the spectrum where you were when you started. Yeah. Like I look at what you were doing when you started based on this article going, you're fucking nuts. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> no, back I was, cause now I play way less. Percentage. Right. But, but do you, do you, you play way less percentage, but do you think that I'm, that I'm still too nitty? Um, no, well, you're doing it mostly for baseball too, which is like a completely different thing. Like, in yeah, baseball, I do it for also sports though. When I play basketball, do? I do it the same thing as well. 
So for NBA, my philosophy on it is that I don't really wor- like. I guess I do worry. Like I get tilted easily, but I don't worry if I win or lose one slate. I'm trying to have. I'm trying to play aggressive so that a couple times a month I'm going to have a bunch of teams that have a chance at coming first and everything. So like my core is always unique, like I said, and because of that, some nights I'm going to be. If you look at my stuff, you're going to be like, wow, that guy is an absolute moron. Like he cashed like. 10 out of 150, all his picks were terrible. And then other nights, people are going to say, wow, this guy's a genius. He cashed almost all of his teams. And how did he know this guy? How did he know that guy? And the way I see it is I just want, when my core hits, I don't want to be spread out. Like I'm basically treating it as a long game that I trust my projections in the long run. So, yeah, if I was putting – uh, my whole bank, or if I was playing like 20% of my bankroll, which I'm not advising anyone to ever even consider doing, if I was playing a ton of money on a slate, like way too much, I would definitely diversify more and make like 500 unique. But because of the percentage I'm playing, I'm, I just view it as like, I almost view it as like a cash game. Like I'm trying to cash as many lineups as possible in the tournament. And if I can get one, if I can get a bunch that finish high, great. And if I can profit, great. And if I lose, I'll bounce back tomorrow. So I, I kind of think of it, let's say you're a hitter in baseball. You know, they always say, like, oh, don't swing for the fences. Just try and put it in play. And then that's when that's when we'll, you'll start getting the results. So I'm not trying to diversify too much and chase the home runs. I'm basically just trying to put, like, my 150 favorite lineups based on all the work I put in. And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, then I'll get them tomorrow. That's yeah, but what, percent, what percentage of your bankroll are you playing in gpps uh in tournaments i'd say probably one percent okay so 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 then you're then you're more towards my end of the spectrum. so that that is right so that the less you because the the same reasoning of me playing less lineups Mm -hmm. but i play the less lineups like it it sounds counterintuitive but the less lineups that you play the more risky they should be right yeah because that's what you're pretty much doing. Like you're doing the less percentage of your bankroll that you're playing mm-hmm. means that you could afford bigger swings, exactly. which means that you're going to play a much higher variance strategy of I'm going to, because we see that in baseball also with guys like Ricky D and wakey, wakey giant squid. Like they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll take like two pitchers and a stack and like they're in almost all their lineups and then rotate a whole bunch of people around them. So when, if they get that right, like, they could they could clean up the entire site, but when they're wrong, they're losing ninety plus percent of their buy-ins. Now, if you're only playing one percent of your bankroll, you could survive those swings. You're play, if you're playing three percent, four percent, five percent, like you're gonna lose a lot. I mean, you may not be able to survive that. And the yeah. same thing with uh, with less lineups. That the more lineups you play, to me, the more the more you should prioritize diversification. And the less lineups, I don't mind if I'm playing twenty lineups. And I'm like, I'm just going to X out some teams. I'm going to X out, but you know, oh, Garrett Cole's going to be seventy uh, percent on in this slate. I just X him out. Yeah. You're like, like I'm, I'm going to play for the case that this slate goes that that Garrett Cole gets you know only twelve points, and I'm going to build twenty lineups that benefit from that. If I'm playing 150 lineups, it's more likely that I don't X him out. I do have, I may not have him in many lineups, yeah. but only because now my risk starts going up and up and up that I want to have outs as many right. ways as possible because I'm spending 150 times the amount of money 
right? Instead of 20 versus 150 is seven and a half times. And with these payout structures the way they are, like, like, dude, I mean, you end up, this, this season in MLB, I've had what, like eight top tens and I'm losing in GDP. Right. So you have to come in the top, get, get anywhere close. So like, I need to protect myself. I need to protect my downside more yeah. do you do you do you view this now coming from that article about bankroll management because the figures that you're listening in this bankroll management article in mm-hmm. comparison of what you have today in your bankroll yeah must look like a pittance i mean you're like january 2014 $15,942 of buy-ins it's like that could be like like that could be a day for you yeah. right now uh that uh like I don't know where I was going with this, but like as as far as uh, now I'm just I'm I just I'm just getting floored by like like the the amount of money like that you're, you put in in a month is like yeah, it's like right. But the way that you were talking about it in this article of like like oh you know it was it was devastating for you to to lose like sixteen hundred dollars or something. And oh yeah, no, I was like what probably twenty or twenty one. So that's like. A, that's a lot of money at that age, I think, just mentally anyway. But yeah, but now, but now, but now you're putting this in, this is per slate. Yeah, I guess it's just all relative to bankroll. So like if I have $100 on a site and I'm spending 15 and I lose all $15, I'm going to actually be as pissed as I would be if I lost like, uh, like 1% of what I'm putting in now. And the reason is because like you pretty much just want to survive. That's the whole point of DFS. You want to survive to fire as many bullets as possible. And if you, if your bankroll starts to become threatened, it doesn't matter what number it is. It's that you suddenly have to scale back and you lose your opportunity each night. So like now if I lose like four or five nights in a row, I can still play the same thing every night. So I still have equal opportunity every day to make it all back. Uh, so I, Obviously, I hate losing. I don't think anyone enjoys losing, but it's less uh, it's less emotional than it than it used to be because at that time I was trying to get to where I am now. If that makes sense. Yeah, so but, you, look- you, but you, it seems like you found that that the, the cor- correctly that mm-hmm. uh, the amount of t- like it, it probably it's probably a, a youth thing more so no. than anything of uh, you could it it's not about whether or not you will get there, it's mm-hmm. how long it takes you to get there. And many people end up being too impatient. Right. And then, you know, I, I've talked to people in the past and it's like, it's kind of sad thinking back, like they're very smart people in terms of like sports knowledge. And then they'd say, Oh, I won. I turn, you know, 20 bucks into 500. And then they lose one slate and they're like, oh, I'm so pissed. I hate this. I'm just going to get tilted and spend a hundred bucks tonight. Well, why would you do that? You know what I mean? Right. And it's sad. It's like, there is, I do believe this is like more of a skill game than betting, but there is the betting element in that some people can't control their emotions and play within their, within their means each night. And it ends up becoming uh, costly for them because they can't, they just can't control their emotions like when they lose. And I think, it's okay to be upset if you lose, but if it starts impacting how much money you spend on the next slates, that's when it gets dangerous. But uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of stories like that. But now, like once you've kind of reached that goal of where you are, it, it's, it's hard to really get tilted unless you're just 
being reckless at this point, if that makes sense. Right, but there's also a lot of people that have started out, uh, that are starting now, or within the past year, with small bankrolls, right? Mm-hmm. That look at it going like, how, how do how do I get to your level? And the the the, the point that I you can't it's 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 just like in any industry, like you're you're a, oh, you're an overnight. Like it's overnight success, but it took 10, like you don't see, right. Like, you know, most people don't see the three albums the band put out as an independent, right. Yeah. Before their major album type of hit. So like, like people find it hard to believe that you could take 500 bucks and mm-hmm. five years later being playing five to $10,000 a slate. Yeah, exactly. Right. And they, they, they're looking, what, where's the shortcut? How do I get, how do I get to that? type of thing until you until the more you look for the easy button, the more you're delaying that inevitably happening. Because if you're skillful at this and you're plus EV, the -hmm. large sample size will take care of it on its own. So when people, like I look at my roto tracker and I see from the beginning going from a couple of hundred to then a couple of thousand and a couple, like you look through that, the line and you see what I'm playing now. And it's like, well, it took me, it took me four years to get there. And right. there are a lot of people that are like, well, I just started playing six months ago. How do I get there? It's like, yeah, well, it's not, it's I, not. I'm not. And, and they could be and anything that any advice I give them, I, I, I look at how they play and they play and they're playing well. I look, yeah. I look and I go, you're, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I think you're skillful. And it's like, well, how do I get to your level? I said, you'll get there in four years. Yeah. Like, like you'll, like, it's not like, I'm not doing anything differently than you're doing. It's just that I'm four years ahead of you. And that, that's, that's, it's not it's not a zero sum game long run like like maybe on the specific day it is yeah fuck you I want to win I don't want you to win today I want to come in first place yeah, but over yeah. the long run over a five year period you know if I could turn five hundred into five hundred thousand over five years you could mm-hmm. do the same thing it's just that yeah play the way you're doing and give it five did people try to go it's like well I'm I'm at fifty thousand now do I play the Thunderdome it's like no play what you're playing. Yeah, exactly. Like why do you have to get there now? Like, what? What's like? Exactly. What's the rush? Yeah, and that's pretty much what I was explaining. It's like there's people like they need the instant. They need. They feel like they need the bankroll, and they don't want to wait. They don't want to do the work for it. And I get it. It's like it is frustrating to go through the ups and downs, and you start thinking, "Man, I'm just never going to get there." Because like, even if you are good, you do need a. There is an element of luck that you need to. You need to win a few. Uh, large bankroll changing nights, in my opinion, maybe not large, but you need to get lucky. And to win a tournament, it requires luck. And you know, you could be like a really good golfer who always comes second in a major, and you just never get that big hit. But I do think that uh, if you have a good process, um, I think a big issue some people have is overrating their process and thinking that they're better than they are. Right. I look. Uh, I look in your article. It said that that's what you thought, right? Yeah. It's like no matter how good you think your lineup is. Like, it's like projecting a player to hit five home runs if you think he's in a good spot, if you think that your lineup is going to come first out of 20,000 people. Like, it can, and it could, both could happen, but, like, you can't expect it to happen to the point where you're overspending for that. But I think people just need to be patient. That's honestly my top advice. Be patient. Understand that, like, even though you see, like, our names doing well most of the time, there's going to be times like even right now, like I'm on a bit of a downswing. There's going to be times when people are on a downswing and 
you know, they're not going to be posting screenshots to Twitter. Look how much money I lost tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> like no one does that. You just, you hear from them three months later in between screenshots. And you're like, wow, I wish I could be that guy. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, I don't post a screenshot like each time I do well, but like uh, I can kind of understand playing at this level now for the first time this year that there's no way that any player at the top just wins month after month after month. Like, They'll win year by year, but like they're going to have losing months and losing stretches, and really the key is how you handle that. And if you crumble under that and you're like, I hate this, I give up, I'm pulling all my money, and then realistically it's hard to have sympathy for people like that because they just expect themselves to win every single night, and it's just not realistic. Well, do you think that some of that unrealistic you know, perception is based on you know, kind of how the content industry is? Yeah, when it comes to when it, I mean, the the best it's it's it doesn't affect me. But the weirdest thing is like there's no the second episode of this podcast. The mm-hmm. the title was there's no better marketing than winning because the second yeah. episode was the week after I won the slant this past NFL season, and let me tell you, the screenshot mm-hmm. of that of like yeah I won and people seeing that I won and not because people follow me on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. I got a ton of new subscribers and people buying the theory of daily fantasy sports, whatever like that. And it's like, I'm not doing anything different than I did the week before. I mean, like, like I get one of these binks like once a year or so. I mean, that's how I, that's, that's, that's how I play. That's what like, like, yeah. Okay. But what this doesn't mean anything. I mean, it doesn't like, it doesn't, doesn't change anything that I'd say or do or any, like anything like that. So, so I see the fruits of like how, how stupid most people are or gullible. And I tried, yeah. you, you know me, I try to do on this podcast and on Roto Grinders that I'm just fully trained. Here's, this is, this is the real DFS, right? Yeah. And, and most of the time I don't have any picks. There's no picks. There's no plays. I don't have any plays. There's yeah, probabilities. Look at the numbers, play the problem, build good lineups and good luck. I mean, yeah. like that, but that's not market. It, it's, it's hard to market that way. I try to market that way. And some people, or like, no, I really want, I want to learn the why and I want to learn how and I want to yeah. learn all of this that has nothing to do with sports. But you have mm-hmm. to admit that 95% of people are like, this guy knows, the, this guy knows, this guy, who, what's the play tomorrow? And I still, even now, after doing the content that I've been doing for the past two, three, four years, I yeah. still get DMs of, what are your what favorite plays in tonight's games? Yeah, and I'm like, how, how are you following me and still asking these questions? Yeah. Like you have to figure it out on your own to be successful. Like you have to have your own process and then go ask people who they like and compare. It can't just be like relying on someone to give you. But really there's, but there's no one to like, I don't even understand what the question is. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah. Right. But you understand what I'm saying? Like there's a difference. Like, do you like this guy? Well, I have a projection for the guy, but I mean like it'll fit in some lineups. It'll fit in some other. I mean like, like what, 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 what's there to like? The only time yeah. time I could say I don't like the guy is like, if if I think the better thing to do, I think the mm-hmm. vernacular in the industry yeah. for content wise, because you've you you've been at Roto Grinders, you've yeah. you've written stuff, you've done NHL stuff. You, yeah. I mean, you were at Roto, you were doing stuff for Roto Grinders when before I was even playing DFS. Yeah, exactly. So, but do you think that do you think that content wise or perception content whatever in the industry? is still too much in 2012. It's still, it's still too, too much of the non, I could understand in 2012 DFS of mm-hmm. where there, we don't have on off tools. We don't have 
projection models. We don't have, you know, it's, you're all just, you're going, if anything, you're going MLB, you're going to fan graphs or baseball savant. You're kind of looking up stats. You do, you got, oh, he has a good strikeout rate, but there's no like analytical really methodology behind it that right. you, then you could say, okay, based on all the stats that I looked at, uh, I like this guy for his site price and that. So essentially what you're saying is I believe that he's projected better point per dollar for his salary. Now that right. we have projection models, like it's there, or I mean like the, it's the numbers there. Like there's, there's yeah. nothing for me to like. Here's to hear the projections and, Based on the projections, J.D. Martinez, it shouldn't be 4,700. He should be like 5,200, and he's probably he's probably a a better a good value on today's baseball slate. But understand, baseball is high variance, and he could go over four. So who the fuck knows? Or just like with the with NBA, with the uh, the, the Giannis is out and Middleton is 6,200, and it's like, yeah. well, obviously he's going to project well for 6,200. But like if he if, if Middleton was like 10-2, you'd be like, okay, no big deal. You don't have to you don't have to play him. Right. Like, but those types of things, like in 2012, you'd have to know like instinctually that th- yeah. when this guy's out, this thing happens, that type of stuff. But do you think in 2021, still too much of the content is based around, like, is still based around that core thing, the core fundamental miscalculation, the misperception of DFS of who do you think is going to do well tonight? Yeah. In as, as far as this one slate, instead of thinking, how do I play DFS over the course of 30, 365 days that makes yeah. me profitable? And I don't have to be right every I don't. I'm not looking to be right every day. I'm just looking to be right more often than the field in the right contests and make 12% ROI. Like yeah. the content industry is still, who do you, who do you like? And who do you, I mean, who do I play? And who do you think is going to do well? Do you think that that's, that's part of the reasoning why people have unrealistic kind of expectations. They think that like they should be able to be an Oracle. Like yeah. who do I play and how do I win? And that's how I, w- I'm going to follow this guy cause he won. So he is going to tell me who to play next week. And I'm like, I have nothing to fucking tell you. Like, I don't, I just play yeah. good lineups. Do I play this team or that team? I, both of them look pretty good. And they go, well, which one should I play? It's like, what contest are you in? I'm in the large field. It's like, okay, this one's better for large field and that one isn't. And they yeah. think it's, it's, oh, oh, so you think this team's going to do better. It's like, no, that that team is less owned and you're playing the, like, like they don't understand, like I'm not picking people based on who I like. There's no like, there's no nothing. Yeah. But, no. but don't you think that that's the most market? Like it's, it's easy to, to market yeah. the easy button with plays and picks and stuff like that. But that's the, the, the people that really need the, that need the help are the ones that need the opposite of that. And they, it's like, they don't, but they're not attracted to that. They're attracted to, oh, this guy has a screenshot and he has the plays, plays, plays of the week and the picks of the litter and and all that bullshit. Well, people just want the instant gratification. Like they just want to see this guy won. I'm going to copy whatever he says. And then it just ends up leading to a bad process. But I I do kind of But it doesn't work. I agree. I, I, I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be hard to be a, a, a scammer in this industry like i could take a a screenshot from a night i lost like a lot of money and had one tournament team finish high up and be like hey you want to finish in the top five percent like me like come follow my picks just send me a paypal or whatever like it's not hard to trick someone it, it's kind of unfortunate that most people don't want to do the actual work and figure out how they can improve and i do agree like i'll get questions from people sometimes they'll be like hey yeah do you like uh do you like jimmy butler today and i'm thinking like Yes, but like, what's the rest of your team like? 
what at what cost are you using him? Like, there's no individual plays that I like to the point that I just use some guy who's going to get zero. You know what I mean? Like, I like Giannis. I think Giannis will have a good game every single day he plays. I think Jokic will have a good game every single day he plays. Like, it's not a matter of if I like them. It's like, are they worth it? What? How owned are they? Like, there's just so many other right. factors. All the other, all the, the stuff that had he played DFS, right? Not a yes or no question. It's like, it's a very complex question, and, and most people think it's just like a yes or no thing, and it's not at all. Yeah, but 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 don't you think the problem is is that a lot of the content is uh, we know that it's a complex question, but we're going to give you the yes or no, even though that that that's not the right answer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that is an issue for people who want to win long term, but I guess like these sites, they they, they got to make their money too, and it's people screenshots sell, money sells, like. Uh, people just want success. Like they'll see, uh, um, let's say someone who lost a lot of weight and they'll be like, what do I eat today? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Right. You think I should eat this banana? What do you think? <laughs> right. Like, and and, and then, and then you expect to wake up the next day being 40 pounds lighter, but I yeah, eat the I, banana. How come I don't look like you? Yeah. I, I look the same. I've been eating healthy all week. What's going on? Right, How did all you week? Right. Or I've been working yeah. out. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to get big muscles. What, yeah, what exercise equipment should I buy? Okay, what weight should I lift? And then a week later, it's like, how come I don't look like you? It's yeah. Like, well, you, know, you have to do what you're doing for like four years. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> Unless your body is just like some sort of uh, insane, insanely good genetics or something. But like that just does not happen. Like you can maybe get toned in a few weeks or start seeing small results. But then like same with DFS, you can have like small results and then be like, oh, look at all this work I did. I'm going to join this $100 tournament. Or something and then with losing weight it's like yeah i earned this burger and this ice cream and next thing you know you're back in the bad habits that got you there in the first place so i just yeah i think people need to just be vigilant about it and not i think there's a lot of people who sell content who i think they're selling it because they don't necessarily do that well in general not everyone but i think it's very easy for someone to take a screenshot and get people to pay them and so why not right right but i think people get too reliant on just other people and all walks of life instead of there's no shortcuts to success in this. Like there's a reason that most people lose at it, even though I'd, I'd assume, let's say the 90% of people who lose money in DFS or whatever it is, I'd probably guess like 70% of them are trying hard to win and they just don't know how to, and they're just copying other people's stuff and then blaming other people when they lose, if that makes sense. Right. Because it can't be your fault. Cause you, yeah. have to, you know, everything, right? Exactly. exactly. Well, that's what I try to do here. I mean, with, with my stuff, like I, I don't consider like, just like I don't consider myself a tout. I yeah. don't, I don't, I, I, yeah, sure. I work for Roto Grinders. Sure. I, I, I have a course for sale, but for me, it's, 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 it's scaling my knowledge. And if you're willing to pay me, why? I mean, I'm a businessman, right? Yeah. Right. Actually, but to me, I'm, I'm, eth I'm doing an ethical. I'm not saying that I have plays or picks or nothing like that. I'm just like, people ask me questions. And yeah. I answered the same questions over and over and over again. So it's like, why don't I just put something together that has all the answers to all the questions that people normally give me? And here you go. And you could buy it for a cost. So now that they, they go, I can make a little bit of money or do the pregame show on Roto Grinders. It's like, okay. Uh, but the whole point of the pregame show on Roto Grinders is, and, and people, a lot of people don't believe me. It's what I do at 11 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's like, like, I'm just showing you what I've been doing for five plus years at 11 o'clock in the morning. Waking up, 
getting my, well, now it's apple juice. It used to be coffee. Getting, going through Results DB. Before it was just going through CSV, before Results DB existed, I would download CSVs for the contests and start yeah. looking at sharp players' lineups. Oh, what is this guy doing? What is that guy doing? What is, where did they go? Where did they, okay. I didn't think about these types of construction. Just seeing, seeing where, where, what, how I differed from them, how I, how I did from, I'm doing that. And then looking at today's slant, going like, okay, what's the macro stuff that I need to know? Right? Yeah, is there any sure. weather issues here? Is 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 Kawhi potentially sitting? You know, like you're looking at that. You're looking at the initial projections. Going, okay, let me build some teams just to see what the chalk is, and go, okay, more more people are going to play here. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And then, like, I, I don't have to do anything for five hours, right? I mean, like, like now I'm just waiting for news to come in. But like, that's what I do in the like. I'm not showing thing. I'm not. I'm not doing anything anything different. So to me. I don't feel like I'm I'm touting anything. I'm just like I'm just a DFS player that if you want knowledge and I like talking and here you go, I'll answer questions. And do 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 you do you believe the same thing as me, Warren? That uh, I could I could give out all of my information and say what I say and do all of this, and it still doesn't matter because ninety five percent of people won't fucking do it anyway. I agree. I think people. People want shortcuts, and when they see this, I think people get motivated more in life when they actually start seeing success. But to see success, you need to work hard. So it's like a catch-22. It's like, what's going to come first? Am I going to copy someone's picks and hit first and then get motivated and saying, wow, I can make real money at this? Or am I going to you know, struggle at the beginning and say, I want to do well at this. I'm going to figure this out. And most people aren't willing to go through that, especially with the stigma that, you know, betting money on sports has like if you tell people that you do this i'm sure a lot of people go oh isn't that risky that's like the first thing people always say um but yeah just going back to a, a point before when you get the questions i actually had someone once ask me before a super bowl they said how many points do you think will be scored in tonight's super bowl game like because like i don't know they think people who have, people who win they have like this innate like gift or something like i don't know how many points are going to be in the super bowl well, probably but, the like, line if, if it's if it's the day of the line is probably pretty efficient on the over under yeah no for sure but like people were like do you think 54 is a good guess or something i'm like yeah it's, the vegas line is 51 so that's not bad if you think they'll score more right <laughs> funny like i'm sure you get way more of those questions than i do because not, like, necessarily, not necessarily those questions i just yeah. I, I just think when, when you say working hard i'm i think you have to, and to me, I think you have to enjoy puzzle solving. Yeah. Like a I, lot of the stuff that I do is puzzle solving. Yeah. It is like, for instance, I'll, I'll, I mean, I've done it in the past with new strat, like I'll experiment with strategies, like not necessarily in real play. I mean, you could, you could simulate stuff that you could, you, there, there, are, there are ways to, to, to test things out. Uh, yeah. But I'm going through results DB looking at like players that are doing well. And if they're doing things that I don't understand, mm -hmm. I don't automatically assume that this guy's a donkey and he's getting lucky. Right. Like I don't start from like in the back of my head. I am truth. Truthfully in the back <laughs> of my head. I'm like, how is this guy winning? This guy's a fucking idiot. Like, look at these lineups. This doesn't make any sense. So going through players and seeing like new strategies, like whether or not whether or not this guy is a donkey getting lucky or did he, finding something new or 
are sharper players doing things differently now than they were in the past? Because I, I go under the under the notion that like like for instance stacking. Like when I started playing baseball, DFS baseball, uh, in MLB in 2016, most sharp players were stacking. Yeah. But a lot, a lot, but a lot of the content was mostly about like I like this play and that play. Uh, since I came from a game theory background, I wanted to experiment with the notion of like using leverage positionally. So like this second base, because basically in baseball, there's so many more positions that get locked. So like the the, the one that you tilt the most is always catcher, right? Because there's yeah. not many good catchers. So if one cheap fucking catcher from some random team gets like two home runs. And they're like yeah. more than 2% owned. It's like, you're going to need them in large field GPPs. And because there's no other catchers, like you have to roster a catcher on DraftKings. Or like yeah. if you have, if you have a first baseman that hits a home run and another first baseman hits a home run, like no one could have both of them in the lineup. So like, I'm not going to, as long as I have a home run in the first base spot, I don't have to worry about it. So like I was, I was trying to use that as a way to build lineups until I found out that, now, correlation means way more than that. Uh, but I wanted to see. But my first instinct is always if the people that seem to be winning, using the word winning, they seem to be, are doing mm-hmm. one thing, it's more likely to be correct because they have the financial incentive to do so. Correct. Right? And if there are people that are not doing that, are doing something different, there either has to be a re- either either they have not found that that strategy, no, that they don't realize that they're they're being minus EV, or they're they have found an, a better strategy that has not yet been, you know, shown to be financially prudent, and a right. lot of times you don't get to see that, like until everyone knows it already, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those it's one of those things like if you probably go back to 2012 MLB DFS there was much less stacking than there is now in 2021. So like over the course of time, like NHL line stacking or the, the game stacks in NFL, right? The run backs, like the, the super stacks. And then you run back from the other team. Like, but you could find all this information out by studying sharp players lineups because they're putting in the most amount of money. But the problem comes in is when determining on who is sharp and who isn't. And sometimes that isn't due to, like, well, just someone, because someone won the Millie Maker doesn't make them a sharp player. Correct. Like someone, someone, you could get lucky and, and win that. We've seen, we've seen Millie Maker lineups that are like, I don't know how the fuck this lineup got made, but yeah. you know, I want to have that guy's luck. Uh, exactly. And then they, they, they're set for life. They can just sell that screenshot. Like right, of course, saying. of course. And that, that a lot of times that that's what happens, but yeah. how do you, how do you determine? Cause you probably have seen people do weird things in their lineups and naturally based on what, what we would know about DFS go, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And you may see someone be successful with that. And you go, I don't know. I don't do not know how, how, how this person is doing well enough with it. It Maybe it's just not a larger sample sample size. And may, maybe even six months could be like just, okay, it's a lucky run of six months that he's winning sure. a lot. Uh, how do you determine, like, getting outside of, because some people have asked me, even on the pregame shows, like, oh, is there, everyone's five-man stacking, so should I now be doing three three twos? And I go, everyone isn't five-man stacking. 
said, mm-hmm. right, it's a, go, go into the CSV. He's like, oh, everyone good is doing that. But still a yeah. majority of the contest in these large field GPPs are still mm-hmm. people are not stacking enough. And until it gets to that point, I'm not going to bother looking for any type of alternate strategy because the strategy is already, it's not being owned enough. But in right. other sports, in niche sports or something like in soccer, mm-hmm. like there are, my evolution of my soccer play from 2015 to now, like is much different. I mean, the scoring system has changed a bit or whatever. So there've been little nuances. Uh, but if you look at my lineups now versus my lineups from three years ago, my, my play yeah. has gotten better. And it's primarily because I'm looking at sharper players that are playing in a way that doesn't make sense to me until I right. learn why it does make sense. Right. So Somebody- how do you, how do you, how do you evolve? Like, cause I know yeah. that you're a different player than you were in 2014. So over oh. that time, how do you evolve from seeing counterintuitive strategies from people that seem to be doing well beyond and how, how do you analyze on whether or not it's, it always comes down to, I, this, like we were talking before Warren about people yeah. blaming other people. My yeah. first instinct is I lose because of my play. Right. So I always, I always looked at that. I don't want to assume that, Oh no, I'm doing the right strategy. I'm doing the right strategy and getting unlucky. My first instinct is maybe these people are doing something that, that I don't understand that is better. Let me, right. let me see. A lot of times you, you, you look into it and it turns out they are fucking donkeys. Yeah. Right. I mean, it just, it turns, turns, there's nothing I could see that makes what they're doing to be right. better than what I'm doing, than what I'm doing. So I don't know why they're doing it anyway, but I'm not changing anything. But right. how have you seen that in multiple sports over your, you know, seven years of play? Because you have to evolve. I mean, the, the play in 2014 versus the play now in 2021 has mm-hmm. to be drastically different. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it, it can be very, uh, it can pop a bubble, be pretty humbling if you realize that other people are doing things you're not. And you ever get that moment, like that epiphany? It's like, wow, maybe they're right about this, and I'm the one who's wrong the whole time. And I think that's kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about people overestimating their own intelligence and being like refusing to acknowledge that the lineups that won in any way could have been smart because they didn't have that player. You know what I mean? Like it's just not, it's not a healthy way to think because you can, you're going to end up dying. Either you're either going to die alone on your hill or you're going to come out ahead and. Usually if it's every night, the person who wants a moron, uh, it's just, it's just, you can learn something from the person at the top and you can even say, Hey, like they got lucky. The game went to three overtimes and they picked the backup shooting guard or an MLB, the nine hitting catcher hit two home runs. Like, is that skill or is it luck? I mean, it's, I, I highly doubt that they knew that that was going to happen. Uh, that's actually a big reason why I don't play baseball anymore. It's just too much, uh, there's just too much of that each slate I found, but uh, regardless of that point, I think it's good. I always like to try and go back and not just look at who's winning. I like to look at the guys who are posting like the most contests, like the highest volume guys, similar to what you said. And I like to see what they do in like three man contests versus head to heads, uh, triple ups, see if they change their lineups at all, uh, see who they picked. And I've honestly, like I probably, in the long run lost money in head to heads and NBA to all the good players just because my strategy is a bit different. And, uh, it's, I don't know, it's more prone to struggling in cash some nights, but 
you know, I'm always working on it, but like I'll look at their teams most nights and say, you know what, that's a good team. But once in a while, I'll I'll realize, hey, this guy wouldn't have done well if that other player didn't get in foul trouble or whatnot. So it's good to keep a healthy balance and not always blame yourself if you lose. Sometimes you will get unlucky and sometimes you'll make mistakes. And it's, I think it just takes experience to figure out if you've screwed up or if, if sometimes like I'll win and I'll be like, I got lucky there. Like it was one night. Good players think that way, but that's the difference between, to me, I find that that's the difference between good players and bad players. Good players Mm -hmm. like look at how lucky it was for them to, to not to come in first versus 20th rather than the other way around. Bad players are like, yeah, I did. I, yep. Yep. Perfect lineup. And it's like, I look at like, no, no, this guy, you know, if it wasn't for the last play of the game, getting a seven yard pass that gets them over the hundred yard bonus. Like that was a bullshit play that, they could have ran out the clock there and they didn't, you know, it's like, and that was the difference between first and fourth place. It's like, yeah. I'm more likely to look at those types of things. My job, our job as GPP players is to try to get lineups into like the top 1%. Like get, yeah. let's get, have the best chance of getting towards the top. And once it gets towards the top, it's kind of like you let it go like a pigeon. And it's just like, you know, like a bird flying. It's like wherever it lands, I don't know what the fuck that's going to land, but Exactly. As long as I get it up over there, it'll it hopefully over time it'll land first more often than not. Yeah, I, I think one thing I like to look at for NBA. That's the, sorry, I keep. I know it's baseball season, but I, I like to look at people who game log chase and the ones who are kind of like buying low on like the good players who keep getting in foul trouble or they're shooting twenty percent threes in their last four. Because uh, I do think that the algorithms start to create a little bit of a bias against those players, even if it's a little bit unfair, not something that's necessarily going to happen a fifth game in a row. But I I always look at other people's teams. I think it's, and I think it's good to keep like a good balance of confidence and being willing to learn something new. Like I'd say throughout the NBA year this year, even like I look at someone's team and I'd say, you know what, I, I can learn from that. Like in this situation, uh, his pick didn't even do that well, but, I saw he took 20 shots and I underrated what his role was going to be. So I'm always like trying to learn and I'm trying, I think it's important to not get too confident in your own abilities. So that way you're never complacent and overly satisfied. Like until you make it to being one of the best, I think you should always be willing to learn from other people and uh, see if you can, even if you get like marginally better, or you learn like one thing a night. I think that's important. Right. I mean, my, my whole, my, my whole theory of play is to, exploit the overconfidence of other people. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I start, I start the slate with, I don't know anything. All yeah. I know is that all these other people think they know. Yeah, like, it, exactly. like that's, that's my, that's my style of, that's why I could use, that's why I use other people's, I don't build my own model. It's like what I can't make a model better than these. So why don't I just use the models that I see around the industry? I could obviously write them off as expenses so I could see them around and whatever. But it's like, I'm not looking at anything else other than anyone else is looking, but I know that other people are looking at these, right? It's like, it's one of those, it's that third level thinking of, well, you're using these projections. So let's say like in baseball, I'm using the bat projections. Yeah. Right. Derek Hardy's projections, but I, I have subscriptions everywhere so I could see projections everywhere. And in the bat, this guy, you know, this picture is rated higher than in most other models. It's like, but I also know that people could see that, right? So it's like this guy, like, I know, I know what people are going to see everywhere. And then I go, well, based on all of this, 
uh, this team is going to be underowned because they don't they don't project poorly, but they don't project well in any model. They're just but they're a high ceiling team and they have a four plus you know run total, and they're going to be three percent owned. And it's like because I know everyone is looking at that, everyone is yeah. looking at everything. I play that team and then I win. And then people ask me, well, what what put you on that team? Yeah. Right? And of course I'm playing multiple lineups, so it's not like I'm playing all or whatever. Uh and my answer is simply because no one else was playing them. And they were high they were three percent owned, but they had a five point five percent chance of being the winning team. And that's right. why I played them. He said, but what and then they asked, where would you have seen that? Yeah. And I'm like, because they would be like, I looked at the bat, they didn't project well in the bat. And I said, I know. And they go, well, they didn't project well in Awesome. I, I go, I know. Said, did they project yeah. badly though? Said no, but they didn't project well. They were like in towards the bottom, like two thirds, you know, down there, whatever. And I said, yeah. and that's why I played them. And they go, yeah, I mean, well, because I know you're looking. I know because who are, are there? Is there anything to show that this team is going to put up twelve runs today? No, there is. There's nothing that will show you that. Or mm-hmm. and every everything that everyone else is looking at is not going to find that either. Which all it does is decrease the ownership of the team. And and to me, like you hate baseball for it. I love baseball for GPPs right. because it's it's so high variance on one given day that who's to say who's going to be the highest scoring team? So all I need to know is what does everyone else think, and I'll just play the other things. I mean, like that's that's right. sometimes sometimes all that is come it comes down to. Now I may use the projections to physically make the lineups. Right, because mm-hmm. I had the medians, and I could, you know, higher projected, lower owned, and get the one-offs in, and everything like that. But at the end of the day, I'm picking uh, most of the time. I'm stacking teams based on, based on well, no one else's. Like, and right. they're, and they're, and they're not hard. It's not like I'm you know, stacking the team against Garrett Cole or Jacob Degrom. Just like mm-hmm. a team that's just off the radar. Like, because there's other, because there's ob- there's five obviously good spots, and I'm taking the eighth best spot. Right, and it just it somehow happens that they put up 12, 14 runs, but then people ask like, "What put you on?" And it's hard to explain, Warren, the process of I just looked at what everyone else was doing and tried to do something different than that. Yeah, because most people they don't want that "quote unquote" risk, even though nothing in baseball is safe. Right, they don't want to be on an island themselves because they think there's a reason this team is only two or three percent. It's and it's not because they can't do well; it's because they're slightly less likely to but that doesn't mean they can't do well and if they do do well like you said you're gonna you have a way better chance of finishing in first place if your three percent team comes first as opposed to the 25 percent percent owned stack coming first like there's you know thousands of other people thinking the same thing with that so it's harder to win with that so it makes sense like i think game theory and baseball is like a it's hard to tout though like you said right like, that's what that's what exactly what i mean but this know, is, but this guys. is opposite but this is opposite of how, like, what you said earlier, like, you tend to go with projection, like, you're naturally going to be contrarian. Oh, and, like, like that, that's NBA. I think other sports, I'd, I'd be far more open to, like, game theory. In NBA, I just trust my stuff so much that I don't feel the need to diversify off of it. But if I, if I do play MLB this summer, I, I'm going to be doing, like, kind of exactly what you said in that I'm going to pick the low-owned stacks within reason, like not going to have like the worst stack, but I'm something where I see like a little bit of upside and maybe just throw them all in a lineup and hope they're 1% and just go crazy. Cause anything can happen in a baseball game. 
And it, it kind of has like a correlation. Like if you have a hot start, there's like a better chance you get some bad relief pitcher who comes in and then keep hitting him. Maybe the backup catcher comes in and throws it. It doesn't take much for a, a stack to go off. Um, and at low ownership, anything can happen. So, But I agree, it's hard to tell people who are asking you for advice, like why did you use them? And there's no real statistical analysis other than game theory to justify it. Right. I mean, but that's... Hence, hence, hence the theory of daily fantasy sports. That's why, that's why yeah. it comes down to. And but I talk to so many top players that think more along, more along towards your lines of like I have my projections. Like we see mm-hmm. recently with the whistles go woo, right? Yeah. That guy. Uh, I mean, he was on lulls and basically said that like he has a module. Like we found out that he's he's not a schmuck. We found out that you know he's he's someone that builds yeah. predictive. Ag- I mean, like. He he literally builds optimizers, right? I met him at the finals. He had his laptop open the whole time. He was always working hard. Right. He's a, he's a friendly guy. But I could tell he wasn't. Uh, from the first interview, I was like, oh, wow, this guy won really <laughs> when he did the, the whistle noises. But then when you actually meet him in person, and maybe not after winning a million dollars. I think everyone would be in that kind of mood. Uh, but when you meet in person, you're like, okay, this guy actually knows what he's doing. You're right. Like, but I, even he says that he doesn't factor in ownership often. At all, in most in of the sports that he's played. No, in most of the sports that he plays. Interesting. I think baseball is different. I think baseball is like the one where you should factor it the most. But like for me, I personally don't weigh too much in golf. I don't weigh it too much in hockey or football because I just think there's so many unique combos you can get that if you love the twenty percent owned guy or the twenty percent owned stack and like there's no like you think it's great and worth it, then there's other ways to differentiate yourself. And I don't like to, I don't like to give other people the plays I like when I can have them myself. Uh, if that makes sense. Like I don't like to go on an Island, but whereas in baseball, I feel like even the best stack, like I don't feel like anything is a guarantee in that sport. Not that it isn't others, but it's even more variance in baseball than it is others. So I, I'm okay with playing the odds because you know, you're using a thousand at bat sample to predict two at bats against a pitcher. You don't know how many runners are going to be on base. Uh, you don't know. I don't know. There's just so much that goes into play that it's kind of, it's almost all luck to me to the point that you almost just want like the lower own squares, if that makes sense. Right. But it also matters on how you approach DFS it, fundamentally from the start. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, um, to use sports betting terminology, you're a market maker. Yeah. Right. So most, I would say most DFS, most top DFS players are market makers, mm-hmm. right? Market makers, meaning that they originate their own projections, right? They, they, they're coming from a, they're trying to predict what's going to happen based right. on the salaries and what lineups and they do simulations and they run and they go based on my methodology, based on my predictive analytics, based on everything, I'm going to project this distribution curve for this player. And for this team, and this is what I'm projecting and everything like that. So if you trust in your stuff, it's like, you wouldn't care what anyone else does. It's like, I'm just over the long run. I'm going to be more accurate than anyone else. But I fundamentally come from the complete other end of the spectrum. I come from, I don't, I don't even need, I don't even need player projections. I just need to predict the ownership of all the players and then go, I'm going to make the assumption that the field in general, now there may be sharp players that, are good, but there's still tons of dumb people in this field that the ownership is going to be inefficient because people are going to be overconfident 
on certain things. They're going to be biased towards certain statistics, right? They're going to overplay this. I mean, it's human beings. So to me, the most important thing to me is not the player projections. It's the ownership projections. Because obviously, if you tell me, for instance, in basketball, Warren, if I just told you that there's going to be a player that's 80, on a 10-game slate, that's going to be 85% owned. In 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 a in a large field GPP, mm-hmm. do do you what do I have to tell you anything really about that player? Uh, it depends. See, like that's. Where but I'm just saying, in general, I know I know there's nuance that, but you would figure that that's probably like a thirty eight hundred dollar point oh, guard yeah. that's walk that's someone's injured, and it's he's walking into like he normally plays eighteen minutes and now he's going to play thirty six minutes with twenty eight percent use. Right, it's one of those. If anyone's going to be eighty five percent owned on, on a on a large basketball slate, it's probably going to be yeah one of those types of guys. Like yeah, thirty percent owned, it's hard to tell what that could be. But when it's right. like a guy's like 90 percent owned in GPPs, it's like yeah uh, yeah this is this is uh, Kyrie's out, Harden's out, and uh, the Nets that they're playing Chios at thirty eight minutes, and he's thirty two hundred, right? Right, yeah. it's that type, but. To, to me, I don't need a player projection for that. All I need to know is that he's going to be 85% owned. Mm-hmm. And I know what type of player. Now in baseball, anyone that's 85% owned is over-owned. Like there's yeah. no one, there's no one that could be that, that all, maybe a, if Garrett Cole was 4K, okay, maybe, okay, sure. And then, yeah. then I could get you there. But, yeah. but when Even you approach, that- when you approach DFS from that perspective, it make it almost makes it me feel like I look at your style, like, like most people play, Going, I don't know why you have to be that accurate. Yeah. Like to, to me, all I need to know is that the that there's enough dumb people in this field that the ownership is going to be inefficient. So yeah. should should Ronald Acuna be thirty six percent owned on a ten game slate in baseball? Like no, he shouldn't. Like just I don't need to know anything about who he's facing or anything. There's no batter on this slate that should be thirty six percent owned. And if he beats, yeah, he's he's probably in the best spot for a $6,100 batter. I get it. But I don't need to project him out. All I need to know is, I guess I'm not playing him much. And if he beats yeah. me, he beats me. And the same thing in basketball. If, like, we get, you know, uh, Lucas, you know, with the studs. Mm-hmm. On, a, on, on a normal, this past season, it's almost impossible to give NBA examples. Because, oh, yeah. it, shit happens every slate. But let's say NFL. Like, in NFL, like, as, if everything's efficient, and, like, it's like, oh, uh, we look at like the seven K range running backs. Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to play Eckler? Are you going to play? Uh, are you going to play? Oh, I don't. I forget. I forget who's even in the James Connor or who? I, what? Just the range of running backs where it's just like it's like eh, like like they're not Christian McCaffrey, but they're not like cheap or whatever. And you look and you go like, if you looked at the player projections, like you'd find four running backs that project for within one point of each other. Mm-hmm. Yet for some reason one of them is going to be twenty six percent owned, yeah, and another one's going to be nine. Joe Mixon's going to be nine percent owned, and it's like the pro- the prediction the projection is one point difference. Mm-hmm. Do I need to know the difference between the two? What what's more important to know the the difference of the one point in projection for the player or the difference of seventeen percentage points of ownership for that? So like to me the projections are the least and the player projections are the baseline for. Mm-hmm how people view the ownership. That's why I want to, that's why I want to know everything that when people are like, Oh, do you, do you, do you read content? It's like, I, I listen to content. I mean, I put up my podcast on like, it's like, it's talk radio, but I listen yeah. to content all like for NFL. 
I'll listen the whole. I'll listen to everything the whole week. Right. I, but I'm not listening to who people like. I don't care who they like. I'm listening right. to, because I know other people listen. It's it's I know other people will be listening to this show. Right. And hearing right. Evan Silva say he likes this guy, and mm-hmm. although RNRG he's projected to be 16 percent owned, I think he's going to be 20. And if he's going to be 20, that means other people are going to be less owned. So I'm just thinking in terms of that. So I need to listen to all of this. Yeah. I need to look at all the projections because I know that other people are looking for. If you have an Awesomeo subscription, you, mm-hmm. I, I'll know. I'll know. I'll, 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 it's so easy to find. You, yeah. You, I could. I could. I could. I could download a CSV, and you give me a username and you give me their exposures, and I can almost, I, by eye, tell you what site they subscribe to. Really? Yeah. Right. I mean, because because I, I I'll look at the difference between like oh the bat has this guy higher and that guy lower and this guy oh if you use awesome projection you're going to be playing a lot of Yankees on Fanduel today, right? right? The bat is much lower on them. They, the Yankees are still a good team. The bat still it's still high, but Awesome has them as the clear top stack, while the mm-hmm. bat has it as like the third or fourth stack. So I know that if I see and that's when you also see people that don't know how to use optimizers. You download the CSV, you give me a username. And you'll see lineups where you'll see p- users that are playing a hundred lineups and they have like 70% of one hitter mm-hmm. as a one-off. Like it's not one of those types of things that they're stacking one team and going like high variance. Yeah. That's it's that's like a, what it's like, obviously this guy fit into most of his lineups and you see like the two K shortstop punt is like yeah. 54% exposed. So I'm like, okay, I know what projection set they used and yeah. I know that they didn't set any type of, I know that, so if this guy, you know, they're built, you could tell just by looking at that. Yeah. So to me, I find that the most, in, to me, that's how, that's how I play. Mm-hmm. I want to see what everyone else is doing and the difference between one point in the projections for players, like for the people that you like, like you're in your cash lineup. It's like, oh, if you have a 5% owned guy, you're fine mm-hmm. with that. Cause you, you, that's who you think that should be in the lineup. To me, right. I look at it as like. To me, I want to play the highest on people as possible, right? I mean, like, I'm just, I don't even know who, I don't even know what the player projections are. Just like, just right. give me the highest on lineup and let let other people make mistakes. And in the long run, I'll get a percentage return. And who cares if I'm off by a point or two in the projections? I'm playing high on guys. And in the GVP, I'm doing the complete opposite. Okay, see, I do the same in cash, but like my cash is head-to-heads, three-mans. The three-mans are the key. Like, if I... Like I, I will look at the the projections and like the chalk ownership, and if there's something that I don't project well that I know everyone else is going to have, I I'll like spam join the three mans. Like well, because you make more. I mean, but I, I've talked about this on the podcast. Yeah, because so you because you, you, you could beat because you're making twice when you win. You're beating two people with a similar lineup. Exactly. Like you're going to beat one. You're going to beat both or neither most of right. the time. Right. Now, in head to heads, that wouldn't be needed or double ups no it wouldn't be needed but like if i like my player more and he's lower owned then i'm gonna play him right well of course but i'm just saying as far as ownership is concerned that the right it's a very similar i mean i do the same thing like if i play the bat optimal if i play the rg nba optimal and i see that there's like it's a 2v2 and i'm playing and i'm playing a guy that i know is only going to be five percent owned in cash yeah. Like I, if I know, cause I'll, I'll, I'll see that. I'll see like five, you know, it's a half an hour before lock and it's like, okay, I guess I'm going to be playing. Everyone's playing Max Kepler 
uh, for for thirty six hundred leading off. He's probably going to be sixty percent owned in cash. But I'm playing I'm playing Aaron Hicks or whatever or, or someone right. some other you know that the bat projects is slightly better, but not other places don't have him slightly better. So what I'll do thirty minutes beforehand is start joining triple ups and quintuple ups and three man because. Like if I'm if if I get on the right side of that one v one or two v two, I I want to get three x. I want to get five x. Exactly. I don't want to get just double my money because I've already I'm already predicting the ownership. So if there's no need to get leverage in cash for double ups, you want to get leverage when you could make three x five. You could progressively make more. So right. like that makes utter. I think people don't understand that they think in terms of like like even your saying head-to-heads and double-ups are different from three-mans and five-mans and triple-ups because of the payout structure. Yeah, but it, 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 it still depends on the sport for me. Like, in NBA, like, I, I don't even care what other people are doing, but if I'm playing MLB, I agree. Like, I'll look, and if I'm dip, First of all, if it's, like, a one-versus-one and the rest of my team is chalk in NBA, I'm going to pick the chalk guy because I don't want my night dependent on one guy who's projected, like, one point different. Cause that's stupid. But like, usually I'll end up with like three or four guys who are just kind of off the board and it just kind of, it kind of just makes more room for error, right? Like there's three, three or four chalk guys versus my low owned guys. And then, you know, like all it takes is one of the chalk guys to do poorly. And then one of mine to do great. And then let's say I'm losing, I can pivot two of my late guys to other people. Or if I'm winning, I can block it. I can block the chalk later. So like there's, there's a lot that I do for cash games that I don't do for tournaments, but like in terms of pre-slate process, I'm always just treating them as similar entities. But yeah, I, baseball is a completely different animal. And I agree with you there. Like, especially a leadoff guy can go over four any time of the week, even if it's a good spot, like he can fly out, line out, and then he faces a tougher lever, uh, then gets pinch hit for or something like anything can happen. And I don't think any baseball player should ever be that highly owned when like, the best spots are going to fail 65% of the time when they're at the plate. Right. Like, As opposed uh, to basketball where the best spots typically right. succeed 65% of the time. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you, you know, it's almost like golf where you need like all eight of your guys to do what you expect or else you're in trouble. But um, no, I do agree. I, I love that strategy of joining three men. So like that's something I've recently adopted this year where if I know I'm going to be a bit different then it, I recommend it to people. Like I'll see people with like game stacks and double ups. And I'm like, that's, that's stupid. Like why just do that in three mans, do that in single entry tournaments, do it in triple ups. Because then like, if you're right versus the field, like, yes, you can win double ups, but like you can just, you can just win more and you're not going to beat the chalky lineup with a game stack 60% of the time, but maybe you can do it 40% of the time and make good money long-term. Because yeah, I, I, that's what I love about NBA is like the opportunity to beat all the overlap. All you need is like one differentiator who goes nuts, and then you can really just win every contest you're in. Like not tournaments, but cash games, triple ups, etc. So what what is your what is your take on? We've seen uh, a couple of weeks ago, two three weeks ago, about claims of uh, the three man collusion. Uh, yeah, because it because that I mean especially in the higher stakes. Uh, my, my take in general on collusion mm-hmm. in this type, which, which is the real type of collusion uh, yeah. in the past, like, cause people, people have been saying this for a while in the three, mm-hmm. in the three mans, the five mans, you know, that type of, you know, people, 
So basically, you're battling for the lobby. You're trying to you get two got two people in there and trying to get a th- get a sucker for the third one. Uh, yeah. And then you play a slightly overlapped, you know, a secondary lineup, and then you split. Uh, my my feeling has always been in the past that if there was collusion going on, that the people that have the financial incentive to crack down on it would be doing so. So yeah. like like in two th- like I heard this in two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, and I'm like, well, if they're committing, like, why? Why are all these other high stakes players allowing this to happen? I mean, like it must not be going on because I don't see people that are putting in tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars saying mm-hmm. that it's true because they have yeah. everything to lose on it. So like, so you're barking up the wrong tree, but in the past like two weeks, I've seen high, high stakes cash players talk mm-hmm. about, uh, people that, that based on their analysis are, it's it's at the highest level where, like everyone knows everything, so like yeah. like I I could aggregate all the projection sets together and know exactly. I mean, dude, in 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 cash games, there are certain users that I I I'll know what their cash lineup is before the slate locks. Me too. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, but the same thing for me. You'll know what my ca- like. You will absolutely know what my cash lineup is I'll for. Have, ba- I'll definitely be able to guess six what? of the eight. Now you'll be able to get all of them because I literally tell you what I'm gonna play. I mean I. Right. I, I like I said, my process. I play it like an index fund. It's like I'm. I take. I'm taking this projection set. I'm playing the median optimal and try to beat me. But that's the main reason why I don't play three mans anymore because like my lineup is absolutely predictable. Right. So it's the worst scenario to be in is to yeah. be in a, th- a three man or a five man with a completely predictable lineup. Yeah, because then it's your team, which is like. It ends up being like two versus two versus two, but you're not going to win more than like thirty percent of the time, right? And then also two, but also two people can take advantage of that by yeah. block by blocking me. I mean, like, like if you could predict all all eight of my players, you could block, you could block my lineup and get different else in the second lineup, and like you'll come out ahead more than fifty percent of the time. So right, like exactly. you you never want to be put in that situation, but that's the basis of the of the the supposed alleged collusion that's oh. happening in the high stakes three minutes. Are you are you witnessing this? Are you are you playing these games? Yeah, I still play them because I end up being so different that it doesn't really matter. But I, I do know I have noticed um, in the past like guys will have they'll be in head to heads with like one different guy, and then the other guy in my three man will have that team. And then they'll have one different, you know what I mean? Like, so right, it's, it's not, it, I, I, just to explain for people that don't under, don't understand most of the time when you play mm-hmm. cash games, you're playing one lineup and you're playing it in everything. Right. Yep. Right. Most, most of the time. Now, some, yep. some people could have different lineups for three mans and five mans or whatever, but it's gets very suspect where, uh, someone that always plays the same lineup, like in head to heads, Mm-hmm. plays the opposite lineup as someone else in a three man. Like they're playing, yeah. they're playing the lineup of someone else that you're playing in head to heads, but that yeah. lineup as the diff. like you, you understand no, I, what I'm saying? I do. I, I think it's, it's very possible. Like personally, I don't mind. Like I'm when well, you're not affected as much because you're probably different enough that, that exactly. they, they, can, they can't overlap you anyway. So it, you're joining a three man and it's, and it's yeah. what, you know, who, who gives a shit? You're, you're going to be a 3v3, 4v4 regardless. 
Yeah. So honestly, I, I, it benefits me, but I can see why it's a huge issue, especially if there's like newer players who are joining these and they're not as good. And, you know, for a new player, I think it's, it's basically preventing a lot of players from growing into becoming high stakes. And it's kind of keeping people uh, in the lower lobbies and it makes it like, it's very tough to grow a bankroll if you can't play cash games, right? Like you can, you can win tournaments, but it's hard to rely on that, but you can, you can kind of stay afloat by playing lower stakes cash if you have a small bankroll. But I think that it's just kind of, I guess it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty unfair for people who don't know what's happening. If that makes sense. Like they don't know that the two people they're playing against are working together. And that, that I think is not fair. Like maybe during a slate, if they're, you know, in like a $10,000 three man, maybe they'd message each other and say, Hey, I think this guy has this. Why don't you block him with that? And I'll use this. And then, uh, whoever like that's that to me crosses a line and uh especially if the other person knows it's happening i don't think it's bad because no, they no can... one no 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 one knows that no one knows that this is happening exactly that's that's the issue with it and uh, unfortunately it's hard to crack down on it because uh the sites need those players and if they start threatening to kick them off for it and uh it's just going to hurt uh, the sites overall growth so i think they may they may tend to turn a blind eye they may know what's happening they may tell them like knock it off but i don't i don't know what's going on uh behind the scenes there but i definitely think it's it should be looked into and especially if the other players are making these claims that they are but like for me i kind of sit in the corner i'm like yeah i kind of don't mind you guys do what you do and i'll keep joining them and i'll beat you two out of five times in profit right but this is different than lobby battles like just because you see the same two people in a three-man doesn't mean yeah. they're colluding just mean oh. like and like like that it, you're battling for the lobbies. Like for instance, in in, in soccer or whatever, mm-hmm. like soccer. If you go to the three man lobby, you're gonna see Saramek, you're gonna see Redcoat, you're gonna see Pew Pew Pew, pretty much. That's the name I remembered. Right. Uh, if you want to play high stakes or anything, that's that. Those are the three names you're gonna see. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I think they're better than me? If anything, slightly. I mean, like I, these are people I don't want to. I don't want to play. I'm not going to play a three man where it's me, Saramek and Redcoat. I mean, like it just, it makes no sense to do that. Right. But the thing is, is that other people want to join three mans that are going to be worse than those players. So, yeah. uh, if Saramek gets into the three man first and then Redcoat gets into second, you know what it does? It prevents people like me or Pew or fear my turtle or any of the other. So basically all they're doing is just like, we're waiting for the a third schmuck to come in. Not because exactly. they're not because they're competing, not because they're colluding, just because they have a bigger edge against just they, they don't they don't want me to join. That that's the ride they're joining first. So the whole thing of like battling for the lobby is like when the slate first comes out, like being the first guy in all those 215, 109s, whatever, three mans, and yeah. then like the second sharp player joins, and then yeah. like now that starts preventing the third guy like but that's not collusion. That's just that's just game select. That's contest selection. That's just battling. It's also like a race. Like the second the, the stuff pops up, like you want to get in there first. So that way, if you're respected anyway, you want to get in there first. Right? If you're not respected, two sharp players are just going to join and fuck you. Right. So like I, I think because I'm so different in NBA, I don't think I get like the same. Like people won't see my name and say, oh, I don't want to play him because they, they also probably know over time that I'm going to be different than them. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, I, I think we kind of mutually want the action uh, in the three-man lobby. So I'll just like post 
a bunch of three mans. I don't even look who joins, to be honest. And then unless it's a slate where I'm just going to play all chalk, which happens sometimes. But for the most part, I'm just like I'm, I embrace the action. I'm sure they do, too. But when I look at like the $10,000 three mans and I see Empire Maker, Empire Maker, Empire Maker, like I know that the other players can join. They can afford to join it. But I remember I was talking to Utica at the live finals and we were actually talking about the three mans and he was saying like, you know, like sometimes, sometimes it's not the best uh, investment, but sometimes I just want action on a slate and like, I need to have a certain amount in play for it to be worth it. Uh, I'm paraphrasing like we were both drinking. So maybe we don't, I don't remember exactly what he was saying. But, but don't he, you think that's a, don't you think that's a leak? Shouldn't it, shouldn't, shouldn't your action all depend on what the edge is? And if you're not, if, if the edge isn't there, you shouldn't be playing it. Yeah, he told me, like, similarly, he's a bit contrarian in NBA cash, so he doesn't mind. I think we had, like, a similar mindset in that he doesn't mind playing them. Uh, whereas, like, if I'm playing them and I have a one-verse-one, if I have a one-verse-one in anything, I don't I don't want that action. I would cancel it and agree to a tie every single time. Even if I feel I'm, like, slightly better, I don't want that one-on-one. I think it's just stupid, and I would rather just block and play the higher-own guy at that point, but... Um, I agree. Like in, in three mans, it's bad action. If you're getting your information from the same source as them and it just doesn't really make any sense to do. So I get why they dominate the lobby. I, I think it's a bit unfair, but it's, it's also hard to moderate. Cause like, you don't know if they also want that action in the three mans against each other. So it's hard to crack down on, but it would be nice if there was some way to. Yeah. But dom- dominating the lobby and colluding are two different things. I know, and it's hard to identify them, especially if you're working for a site and you're going to make these claims. It's hard to prove one from the other, and obviously it would be fantastic if they got rid of all collusion. But it's it would be tough to pull off, and I'd love to hear some of the solutions that they have to make that happen. But for me, it, it kind of helps me, so I selfishly just turn a blind eye. But, right, and then also the the opposite. If you're play if if two people are playing in a, in a three man. And they're sharing the same lineup, like yeah. that's detrimental to them. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Got... That, that's that's something you shouldn't be complaining about. You should be what you should want to get into three minutes. That's why I joined them. It's like I'd say once a week during the NBA season, I would join, and I'd be facing. It would be a head-to-head to win three times, and like even all I have to win is like beat that lineup once. Problem is, like you usually, have, like you said, you usually have to beat that one lineup and everything. Right. So that's when last night I needed that block to beat that one lineup that was in every contest. So it's never fun to lose like that. But at the same time, like uh, I don't mind that if I really like my team. But it, it can suck if you have like a sick team and people are like, wow, you finished so high in tournaments tonight. I'm like, yeah, I lost 50% of my money <laughs> with the top 10% lineup. Like It's just how it goes in the higher stakes. But it all balances out in the long run. So I, I don't mind it, but. Yeah, it would be nice if there was, I don't know, do you think there's a way that they could change the whole format of the salaries to make overlap less likely? No, I, you're I mean, not going to, no, you're not going to change what they should be doing. Like, like, uh, Brian Hooper had the best idea, just cre- create the matrix format. Like, yeah, the, like the three man, li- all of those three mans and five mans and the head to heads should yeah. just be a bucket similar to what Yahoo does with quick matches. Yeah. Kind of, you know, like basically you just, I want to, you just put in, I want to play 10, three mans at $50. You, you don't right. get to choose who you play against. It just, 
You could you could look at the entrance and see here are all the people that have put in to want to play three mans, and then when lock hits, it just auto matches everyone to whatever it is. Yeah, I don't mind that actually. That's I remember they had that on uh, I forget what site it was. They had that I think it was like DraftDay.com. That's also probably uh, before you got into it. They they were like in 2014, 2015. They disbanded, but I remember they had that, and it was. I actually liked it. It was it was good. Well, then you it's, don't have to worry about picking off Pete. Like, there's no head to head blocking because yeah, you, know, you can't you can't bum hunt. You can't do any of that. It's just you get matched with whoever you get matched with. Exactly. I, I actually did like that. I think it would be a good solution if they brought that back. But um, yeah, I, I was just kind of thinking like in terms of like what if they, what if you? It's too complicated, I guess, to do. But like, say you locked a guy in at 11 p.m. the night before and the day after they their price changed but the, you that, i think you can't do dynamic pricing that would be ridiculous there was a site that tried that and they failed so i guess there's a reason that they don't try that but it would be cool if they came up with some sort of solution maybe uh getting rid of positions as much that could open things up but i do think that given how each position, there's often like one guy who stands out amongst the rest. It's a lot easier for overlap, and maybe positionless contests would be interesting. Like you just pick ten players. It would still be overlap, dude. We have projections. It'll still be overlap. Come on. But I think like, let's say on, yeah, I guess it's hard to it's hard to really. Dude, you just knapsack that shit. Thing, give give me the top yeah. five line. I mean, I could pick one of the top five. I mean, dude, it's the yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking out loud. Uh, right. I, I don't think that's because I don't think that's the future of DF. I don't think I, I I never thought it was the future. I thought cash cash games, double ups, though the casual people don't want to play. They want to play. They want to put down ten bucks to try to win a hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, they're paying for the screenshot advisors. They want the screenshots too. If they don't want to win ten bucks, they definitely right. want to. Right. So, like to me, like especially in like MLB DFS, I've seen this year. I go through the head. Normally, I'd go through the head dead lobby like you know every hour or two and go, okay, who who do I not recognize? And I'll pick up yeah. twenty there or fifty. I don't say it's all it's all the same fucking people. I know it's the it's same. Like I mean, I'm just like like why why am I like okay? I guess spread as long as I'm diversified, I'll just spread this shit out and just like okay, I know. And I'm looking at people. I'm like I'm going up against. I know what projections I'm going up against. It's like I'm like I'm, I know what this is going to be. I know I know these five people use the same line. Okay, I know that, and this is going to be. Well, there's no point in taking head to heads against these three people because they're using the same projections I am. So like exactly. okay, right? I'm going to get the rake back there, and then you're looking and like, where are the new people? Like there are no new people that that bear. Because obviously, if you're a new person and you don't have projections, you're going to get destroyed in cash games. Yeah, that's why week one NFL, you'll see them. You get a bunch of new guys, and you're like, hey, look, it's growing. And then the next week, they're all gone, and it's just bad. Right. Well, that's I typically scale down my cash play from there. Right. Yeah, well, the first month of the NFL season for, for cash games is like, to me, that's really? that's the easiest. That, that's literally the easiest month of the entire year. Yeah. And that's why I play all the niche stuff, because like I play EuroLeague basketball. I do those Madden streams. In the summer, I'll do Summer League NBA. I'll do... I guess hopefully the Olympics run this year. I'll do that. Olympic the Euro, the Euro soccer's coming up on the twelfth of July, June. See, like I'm sure you don't need me to tell you to play that, but like, I guess like, is that I guess it, that's not even that much smaller than like 
uh, the other leagues, right? It's not like the no, different... Euros are the international. It's it's like the World Cup for Europe. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that the first play that they have a hundred thousand dollars the first uh, for the twelfth on the first GPP. Oh, that's actually pretty big. I didn't realize it got that high. But right, that's why like... I said like. But the thing is, don't you don't you find though in the niche stuff that the spe- like the specialists are even. Because I consider the soccer cash lobby to be the the hardest lobby in all of DraftKings. Yeah. Because it's it it's if you know the sport, like you like you are the best, and you're. This, I'm playing the same people I've played since 2015. I yeah. mean, like it's it's that it's like, and that's why some people don't play, and that's why a lot of people don't play the niche sports in cash games. Right. Because if you don't play often enough, I mean, we I mean seriously, in the past. We used to have in the soccer lobby, Empire Maker would play, and and Draft Cheat would play, right? Yeah. And, and and a lot of them, I mean, they were not as good. They weren't yeah. bad though, but they just weren't as good. And then right. uh, what what's the reason for them to play? They look and they see, like the people in the soccer lobby are people you don't see in other lobbies. So you would naturally, a normal person, a normal user, someone that's a regular, you'd go in and go, who are these people? I don't right. see them, right? I, I don't see I don't see Awesomeo here. I don't see I don't see any of these. It's like these are people I've never seen in any other lobby. This must right. be easy. And he go, no, no. These are the people that have made all their money in soccer, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're going against the the best of the best for the past six years. Yeah, and then it turns fun. people off. And then it's just like, why, right? People. I mean, I get blocked. I mean, I'm blocked. I mean, like it's I, I can't even get head to head action anymore. Yeah, I think that soccer. Uh... Does it happen soccer, in NH- Does that happen like, in NHL? Are you not getting action there? In what NHL? Yeah. No, I get it. It's it's soccer and hockey are very similar in that you're playing the same good people every day. Uh, whereas I'm talking like the real niche stuff, like Euroleague basketball. Like if I post a ton of stuff, I'm lucky to get five hundred to a thousand dollars of action in a slate. Like I'm the only one who plays it. Like the Madden streams, basically I'm the only one who played it for a few months. Now a few other guys who play NBA actually started playing it too. So it's not as profitable as it was. But then there's, yeah, like summer league basketball, the stuff where it's like it's so hard to get good information that like just, you know, talking about that stuff we did earlier, like the manual work, like reading coach quotes, like really digging and and making your own projections well, like, it's I I'm extremely confident when I play those niche basketball who, stuff. Like, who are you getting action from though in those sports? You'd be surprised. Is it, is it just randos? It's just like a like some days I'll get none, and then one day I'll get some random who will just take my high stakes head to head, and they'll play me for a while. Like it's it reminds me of like old DFS, like playing especially NBA summer league. Like when there's scratches on Twitter, Euroleague basketball, there's scratches on Twitter in different languages that you have to click translate tweet like five minutes before the game starts. Most there's no, there's no push alerts for that. And even though soccer is not like huge and uh, it's not huge for DFS, it's still a huge sport. Like when there's news, people are going to find it out. So yeah, the new stuff is fun. If you can like control a lobby and not have any competition because I guess the number one thing people will tell me is like, yeah, you can't get action in that. It's not worth your time. But like I played EuroLeague for probably two full seasons. And I'm not even kidding. I probably had, uh, I think it was a 60% ROI in two seasons of playing EuroLeague basketball because it was just me against fish, like every single slate. Right. But you had to put in the work for lo- 60% of like 500 to to $1,000. 
Right. And then the odd time I get someone who's just playing me high stakes, but I'd say on average, it's like, especially before the NBA season started this year, since you really came back earlier, they were actually having like tournaments with like five and 10,000 to first, which is huge because now it's like $300 to first 10 men. I'm like, what's even the point of this? Right. So I, I can't stop playing Euroleague because like you have to enjoy your life a little bit too. <laughs> if you're just grinding like low stakes stuff all day, just eventually your head starts spinning and it's just not enjoyable. Yeah, but that's where you started from, right? Yeah, for sure. Right? No, you have to start lose. somewhere. Yeah, if I'm ever on a losing streak, I'll go back and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to play this EuroLeague slate just to get a win, even if it's just like a few hundred dollars. It just feels good to win sometimes. But yeah, I, I, there's always an edge in these smaller sports. And I think uh, the coverage and the touts aren't as good. And there's usually like one specialist for it. And even then, like the people who are dominating the lobbies, oftentimes they're just playing the projections, which aren't even that good for that sport. And it's easier to identify errors. There's less, you know, there's no Osimo, there's no fantasy labs, whatever site there is. There's like usually one source that gives out quality stuff for these stuff. And sometimes it's not even quality. So I recommend to people, there's so many, like there's Valorum in the lobby. I don't even know what that is. It's like some video game. But like if someone goes and learns it and spends like the next day, they could, they could own the lobby if they wanted to. And I really believe that if they put in the work, because like no one who's playing a ton of NBA, MLB, NHL is going to go sit and learn Valorum to like try and make a few hundred dollars a night because it's just not worth the time when you're trying to maximize your profit and the other stuff. Right. Which is why when you have a smaller bankroll, it's more worth it to do that. Exactly. Yeah. I recommend that to people like find find your niche and just you can make like good money per month if you just get really good at something. And the nice thing about that is you have to become self-dependent. Like you can't just go to someone who's the play today. Like those people who message, like it's there's no one out to help you. You're on your own in that that whole world. So it's. But this, I is, think, but, but this is exactly what we did. I mean, I mean, yeah. Warren, in you in NHL and me in soccer. I mean, yeah. most people don't realize now that it's always weird for me to when people say oh, I didn't, I don't, I, I, oh, you play DFS soccer? It's like, dude, I was the soccer guy for two, three years. I mean, like. I didn't play anything else other than that. And and now people are like, I can't, I, you like soccer? It's like, how do you not know yeah. me for soccer? That's, that. Yeah, exactly. but that's what I, but Warren, I mean, soccer, the first place contests were like 4,000 bucks. Like that's how I built up my bankroll of yeah. going from $400 to 20, 30,000 was, was soccer. Yeah. I learned, and, and there was no, there was really no touts for soccer. I just, I'm yeah. going to study Saramex and old T's and, Pew's lineup. I'm just going to study lineups and, oh, okay. Oh, then, then, then I, you get addicted to set piece takers and you go yeah. on that and you go look at goal scoring odds and it's like, yeah. okay, now I, now I learned the cash construction for soccer and you, and then you see, once you learn it, then you start seeing people making tons of mistakes in cash games and you're right. like, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to target the head to heads and you start building, you know, yourself from there. And then, then, but then you get to a point where, uh, doing the short slates, the two game slates, the midweek stuff. And it's like, there's more money to be made in NBA. There's more money to be made in MLB than these slates where if I post head to heads, the only people that'll take my action will be the other sharp people that you just end up not playing that sport as much anymore. Yeah. So like, I definitely recommend to people like, instead of you're playing like, I don't know, 50 to a hundred bucks, I would really recommend learning niche stuff and just trying to become the expert at it 
like there's new stuff in the lobby every day. There's Counter Strike, there's Call of Duty. Like I messed around with those because we're in the middle of COVID and there's not much else to do. But like I know I was not nearly as good as some of the people who were playing in that who might just be like esports people and they don't know anything about other stuff. But like there's still like a lobby that can be dominated in that. And you know, if you look in that lobby and look at the head to heads, like it'll go up to like $200, but there's no one posting the high stakes stuff. And like, that could be whoever's listening to this. You can go and learn something and become an expert at it and just keep going the extra mile. And you never know where you could become that, you know, like you're the soccer guy, someone else could become the call of duty guy or something. And I think there actually is a guy, I think his name is uh, Carson something. And, you know, I played him a few times and he beat me and I was like, wow, he has the perfect team. And, I didn't know enough to learn from it because I don't really understand what I'm doing in that. But uh, I just, I don't know, I was curious to see if he was good or not. Like I was using basic stats. And yeah, I think that whatever new sport there is, if you're watching this, just go and watch it, try and figure it out. And you never know where it will take you. So they should dominate or die. Exactly. Dominate of, or die. Yeah. Just be the big fish in a little sea instead of being a little fish in a big sea. It's, it's easier to last longer. Well, sometimes that. Well, sometimes they end up still being the the, the fish in the fish, no matter what. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, but at that point, there probably would have been a fish on MLB and other stuff as well. But you never know. Do people consider you a big fish in the NHL waters? Uh, I mean, I've I play. Okay, I was I wasn't playing NHL for a long time, and then I got in. I told you about this. I got into like a head to head battle with Sisima because I. Even though I'm gonna, I'll give him credit. I'm not like I'm not gonna be one of those scammers. Look at my screenshot. Look how good I am. Like he he beat me pretty good, and I still to this day don't agree with the lineup structure he had. But like I'm I'm also not like gonna be a sore loser about it at this point. Like he beat me. Like his way clearly worked. I mean he beat me by less than a point, probably like four and eights in a row. But like I, I think that people do take my games in the NHL, and I I don't think I'm as good at NHL as I am other stuff, but. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not good at lying or pretending like I, I'm doing well at something if I'm not like NBA, like I'll, I'll die on that hill. But in the NHL, like I think people, when I post people will take my games. So I guess that tells me something, but right. uh, it still was my first sport. And I used to be before, you know, before it was infested with sharks, as I call it. Uh, I used to really do well in the draft street lobby. And I, I remember I made like the draft street finals and it was like, 10,000 to first or something. And at that time, that was like a huge deal. Like I couldn't sleep the night before I was so excited. And, um, but yeah, it's obviously it's grown and there's like a lot of regulars in that. It's similar to soccer in the sense that there's like four or five guys dominating the head to head lobby and they all have very similar strategies. And I thought my way could work. I still think it could in the future. You never know. I may dive back in, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting sport. And with the scoring changes, uh, I definitely just prefer basketball at this point. Well, maybe I should start playing NHL then. Maybe. I mean, start taking it, your games. You should. <laughs> and play punt defenseman. Yep. Oh yeah. That, that's what they, that's the strategy is they, they pay up for like, uh, you know, the three big scorers, which is good. And even at the end, I started doing that and I would pick value guys. I like better, but like, I guess the block shot, I was underrating the median of the block shot bonus. And I guess they're doing similar to what uh, you might do and other stuff is just playing like the highest median, even if there's no ceiling to it, just like basically daring me to pick guys who are going to score goals 
uh, for cheap prices at forwards and right. Well, that, know, that's did it. That's the side. I mean, you're you're describing my soccer's cash strategy in the past yeah. of like yeah. like you, you you I I would play cash lineups where what if I just took off goals off the slate, what lineup yeah. would win? And right. it's like that's, that's that line, and then you have to chase me down. Good luck. Good luck getting your goals because they could come from anywhere. And it's soccer; there may only be three goals on the whole fucking slate. So, yeah. good luck no, getting I, them. I honestly do similar in NHL. Like there, I always try and take guys with high shot on net floors, but uh, it's it it is highly variance. So, like I'm curious how I would do for a full season against these guys. But like at this point, you know, when you go on when you have a rough week against it, you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to what was making me money. And the reason I switched to NHL is because uh, the NBA was just getting, it's exhausting like, for the work I do. I'm not, I'm not efficient at all. Like I, I put in a lot of extra time. I don't like automation. I like to double and triple check everything. So NHL is just like a breath of fresh air. Like I could set my team, do my research, don't have to refresh fantasy labs, export a CSV five times a night. So that was refreshing in that sense. But like after a while, I was like, all right, I'm ready to go back to basketball. But, you know, if there's ever a lockdown or not a lockdown, a lockout, I'm so used to the COVID word. But yeah, if there's ever a lockout in uh, NBA, I'd definitely go back to NHL and give it another go. Well, you, people could follow you on Twitter, WJ Kosoy. Yep, that's the one. Right. Bills fan 777 to add to your block list on DraftKings, right? If, yeah. if you want. And, and, and or or not, if he's not, yeah. if you're not going to play overlapping lineups or anything like that, maybe they would maybe join the three mans in the NBA lobby. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah I'm pretty transparent about it. Like I don't play the like I, today in NBA. I've already seen I made a mistake. Like I use someone who no one else has, uh, and it's not looking great so far. That's why I keep looking up. But right, you're uh, sweating the games. You're not like me. I I barely even watch the games. Yeah. But but the nice thing about it is that like I know I'm going to have three or four other different guys. I can I'm not dead if it was a one-off then i would be dead but uh, that's pretty much how i play so if you think you can if you think your projections are good i'm always happy to play people and i'm always in the lobby posting stuff so i'm sure people will see me around in there and right because people a lot of times people will challenge you i'll get i'll get messages i'll get dms do uh, you think you're good i'll play you in a whatever i had to add i'd like i i'm posting the it's public just fucking take one you don't have to <laughs> message get, me just like if i'm playing take a fucking i post like what the fuck <laughs> like uh, I'm gonna send you an invite. Why? It's I have a I have 109 head to head right in the lobby, right to go. Take it. Exactly. Do do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Creates, what do I care? It creates some sort of personal rivalry for them, I guess. I don't know. Like I always get notifications. Like so and so has challenged you to X amount head to head, and then they'll like write a message like rematch. I, I got you this time or something. But you're posted. Cool. But I can understand if you're not posted in the lobby. But if you're posted. Yeah. Just fucking take it. Exactly. Right. It's there. Why do you have to tell me? Just fucking take it. Exactly. No, I agree. And then and then a lot of times people don't realize that you're playing so many head to heads. I'm not keeping track of fucking your your fucking five dollar head to head. Oh yeah. I'll get messages on Twitter sometimes like, man, great head to head today. Uh just narrowly beat you out. I'm like, oh we played. <laughs> and they'll post it's like a ten dollar head to head or something. Right. It's kind of cool though, if like someone's like following you're head to head and it's like their big thrill of the night, like to try and beat you or something. And then I'm just, I don't even know what's happening. Right. It's just like, okay, you're one of, you're one of 78 that I played today. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm playing the same lineup. I don't, the, the only time that I'm not, I'll go into the higher stake stuff and, you know, for blocking and, you know, late swap and stuff like that. 
right? Yeah. Because so some, people, some people have called me out on that. They said, mm-hmm. said, you talk about doing the late swap so you're not blocked. We both had the same last player, and you didn't change, and I won automatically. Like, what? Like, like dude, it's a... Like, it's NFL. I'm playing 300 head-to-heads. And, yeah. like, I'm not going into my $5... I'm, I'm sorry. It's just not... I, I, I don't have the time to go to my $5 head. I'll go into my 109... 215-109s. 50s. Yeah. Right? But the $5 ones, like, I'm, I'm fucking... I'm I'm done. I, I, I'm sorry. Exactly. It, if I'm inefficient exactly. by doing that and I'm losing... Ed, okay, I lost that. I have to prioritize yeah. something, right? Yeah, it's just too much work at that point to, like, you know, like I'll I'll go through like all my probably like up to one oh nine and I'll look through it, and then below that it's like you're playing twenty head to heads. I'm not I, I just don't have the time to click each one because like I you do another shit. Yeah, it's just even even when I'm locked in my house, <laughs> like even then, I, there's things I'd rather be doing than going through that, and it's you know it's probably probably dumb you could even like probably create a job from it for like someone like go through all my head to head see if i'm blocked and just pay them like a certain percent but i, have, I haven't gotten to that point yet but i'm sure I, even i'm sure enter that, contest i need someone to do that for me yeah I, i've heard that like some of the top players they'll they'll actually pay people like 20 bucks join all my contests i don't want to do it and right, to just, just go in and just add all the 50 50s and as they populate on fanduel or something like that yeah keep joining see any new head-to-heads, join them, and, like, they get paid, like, this is what I've heard, like, secondhand from a secondhand thing, so it's, like, <laughs> my cousin's brother's sister's said this or something, but, no, I've heard that people actually will do that, and they'll pay people to just join the contests while they're doing other stuff, like, who knows, maybe doing the research for the slate, because it takes a long time sometimes to join these things, like, you know, you're, you're trying to look at who's in each contest, you can't just click add one to all. It'd be it's nice unless to... you're Empire Maker, because he'll just do it. Yeah, at that point, you don't have to pay anyone. You, it's just one button. Right. But He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's probably thinking, it, even if I'm spending 20000 extra, it's it's not worth the time to like save 20000 to like spend 20 minutes clicking right. and not clicking every single thing. It's like paying $20,000 just for the convenience of doing one click. That's probably how he thinks about it. But uh, hopefully one day I'll reach that point, because that would be pretty funny. Well, thanks for 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 coming on. Was it was this enjoyable? Was this fun? You, yeah, be, be, better than lockdown in in Canada. Absolutely, it made me forget that I can't go outside for the rest of the week still. <laughs> but uh, I always enjoy talking DFS, and uh, can't wait to watch this when it's live. Re-li- okay. Do you ever re-listen to your show or no? Once in a while. Yeah, it's good. I don't always love hearing my own voice. I don't think a lot of people don't, but uh, it's I good so to so much shit. What am I? I'd be listening to myself all day. I talk yeah, enough exactly. as it is. Yeah, we all have the voice inside our head too, and we're not even talking. Right. <laughs> just saying the same things that we're saying out loud right now. Right. Just but, play, play yeah. whatever you want. Listen to whoever you want. Exactly. <laughs> no, it was definitely fun. I'm glad that you had me on and uh, down to do it again in the future. Okay. So, Warren Kosoy, WJ Kosoy on Twitter, BillsFan777 yeah. on DraftKings and fantasy platforms uh, on Blender HD. As usual on Twitter, Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. Go pick it up. 15 hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.